Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Today is monumental. Today is really exciting. Last week, last week we recorded like three episodes in one, so we get all the games we were playing out of the way, making the runway perfectly clear for today's video game, which is The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, which is exhilarating. Yeah, it's kind of special that in the time we've done the show, we have actually got to experience and talk about a bunch of these, like, this game shouldn't exist games, you know, like, especially (laughs) specifically from like a forever in development, like everyone's dreaming of what it could be. And then it finally arrives like Elden Ring last year, Tears of the Kingdom now Uh, for some Kingdom Hearts three. I mean, that was amazing that that game existed, but that was just like an (laughs) in joke at a certain point. Like, yeah. And uh, it still doesn't really feel real. Honestly, playing this game, not to sound hyperbolic, but like I was constantly having anxiety that I was dreaming. I don't know the last time I felt that way about a game. I'm but sorry I was to like, laugh, but like, no, I, I, know, I know what you mean. I it's was like, like yeah. genuinely as a mammal worried that what, what I was experiencing wasn't real. Yeah. Which is, uh, I think, a compliment, but is sort of... Uh, <laughs> I think it's a compliment in some ways. Yeah. So I think for just to kind of ground ourselves here, because I think we're floating to the, to the skies of the kingdom here. We are going to open with a discussion about Breath of the Wilds and the sort of lead up to Tears of the Kingdom. Talk specifically about the influence of Breath of the Wild and also like what Tears of the Kingdom is doing, what we're what we're feeling, how we're feeling, lots of feelings. <laughs> and then the second half, we're going to be talking about spoilers, but like basically up to where we're playing. It's hard to really gauge like where one is at in this game because there's so much to do. It's very open, as you yeah. can guess. But I would imagine we're like around the same amount of time in and we've done like around the same amount of the main plot. It seems like it. So I think we'll we'll have at least some common ground with the main plot and then we can share just what we've been up to otherwise. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So so spoiler free for a while and then spoilers ish, I guess, after that. But again, there's so much happening in the game. I don't know The the thing that, about spoilers that I'll just say about this game is that there's a there's a huge portion of the gameplay itself that is, I think, considered a spoiler like by Nintendo, like a thing that you weren't supposed to talk about in previews or whatever that I think is like hugely important to know about before going into the game. In some ways, like I, I did, I didn't find it to be like a oh my god, I can't believe this is here, but more like an oh my god, I can't believe how good this is kind of thing. If that makes any yeah, sense, which we'll yeah. talk a little bit more. I want to, I want to lead the spoiler section with what I'm referring to there specifically because I will say, uh, just in the lead up to this game, as excited as I was, obviously this is going to be like a huge deal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There is a piece of me that's like, if you're charging seventy dollars for the video game, I need to know a little bit more about it. Like I found, fa- I found the way this game was messaged in in the lead up to it a little bit lacking because they were they were going on a faith that I understand and actually a piece of me does agree with, which is yes, it's the sequel to Breath of the Wild. You're going to want it and you don't need to know anything about it. And and we're going to charge $70 for it. And honestly, in some ways, that is perfect marketing like that. That's yes, I you got me already. But there is some stuff about this game that like if you're a little bit on the fence, it's worth knowing going in. I think that they consider spoilers and won't be showing in any marketing material, which is interesting, which yeah. we can get into uh, at, at that at that section. Yeah. And I think just before we begin the conversation, I'll say that like the game is built around discovery, much like Breath of the Wild was. So yeah. if you want to go in completely fresh, obviously, maybe to skip this episode. Yeah. But I think uh, if you are a little curious, 
serious, we'll do our best to not uh, spoil too much here. Yeah. So we'll be talking about like basic mechanics, structure, and that kind of stuff. And then some of the more like, oh, I didn't know this is in the game stuff. I know it's, it's you have to be so vague. Yeah. Uh, we'll be in the next <laughs> section. So I, I, maybe we can start with sort of the lead up to this game. Because I yeah. think you're, you're right to point out that like any other, for any other game, six years of development with basically little to no information until right before mm. would be like an objectively bad idea. It really is yeah. like a <laughs> could only really work for Zelda um, and and also specifically for Breath of the Wild, because this is not the first direct sequel in Zelda history. Uh, Majora's Mask was a direct sequel to Ocarina. Yeah, but it's the it's the most direct sequel, though. It's the most it's the most direct sequel. And I, I think the the pitch of we're working on a sequel to Breath of the Wild, at least for me, communicated we are using the previous game as like a foundation. It's going to like use a lot of the same assets and a lot of mm. the same like rules because usually while Zelda has a formula of some kind, at least before Breath of the Wild, usually every game is going for a very different thing. And it's also, you know, you could see the history of game development kind of change when you look at Zelda history because like, the development time between Ocarina and Majora's Mask was like a year or two. Right. And my read on that game, which I think we'll talk about more at some point, is that the whole three day cycle was about the stress of making that game in time. Like it just feels like so <laughs> baked into the game that like the world is going to end in three days. We need to finish this game in a year. Yeah. And I think that game is maybe like the gold standard of creatively reusing assets. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that the game is like a Alice in Wonderland twist on what was in Ocarina is really cool. But even though that's a direct sequel, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask are, are pretty fundamentally different experiences. Right. As much as they share, I, I really think they are different entities at a certain point. Yeah. Even looking at like narrative stuff, like location is completely different, right? It's not Hyrule. It's Termina. Yeah, yeah it's Termina, which is a different place. They're like, you know, as you mentioned, like weird Alice in Wonderland versions of all the characters, but they're just that. They're just versions. It's just like kind of, as you said, creative ways of reusing a lot of the characters and places and ideas from the first game. But it, it is for all intents and purposes, like a totally different thing. Whereas... Tears of the Kingdom is very much like, hey, we're back. It's Hyrule again. Game development just takes longer now. It's just, it's something that I kind of want to get out of the way. I feel like, you know, the response to this game has been overwhelmingly positive. My entire timeline is like people opening their mouths and light coming out. Like, no, it's beyond <laughs> vocabulary. But I do see, uh, you know, what kind of made me sad, just like existentially, is I just checked Metacritic to see like what was going on. Oof. And there was, at the time I checked it, which was like a day after the game came out, the user score was not visible. And it said, give some time to play the game. And I'm like, the fact that that has to be said is so disappointing because they know <laughs> that like, you know, any, any big game, there's just going to be like 300 zeros just ready to go uh, to drive the score down. I haven't seen like a lot of direct vitriol against this game. And, you know, uh, I, I think there have been a lot of conversations about like the open world style Zelda's versus the previous style, which is kind of ironic to me, given that right before Breath of the Wild came out, everyone was complaining that all the games were following the same formula. Mm. And then the minute it changes, everyone's like, it should be like the old way. It's like, okay. I do think it's really wonderful that enough time has passed that we can see really distinct eras of Zelda and really value one on a subjective level. Like, I think it's totally valid to like say, you know what, I really love the Ocarina and Majora style more than Breath of the Wild. That's a totally valid opinion. 
happen. Yeah. But I just think I, I see a lot of the sentiment of like this game had six years of development and uh, it's just Breath of the Wild, but with a few more things. And I'm like, either you didn't play the game for very long or you like came with that take pre-baked and ready to go. Because I just feel like... You've been thinking about it for six years. Yeah, yeah right. And, yeah, and I yeah. understand like, you know, everyone has the right to feel differently. Like if you are genuinely disappointed in this game, that's totally fine. Um, I don't agree, but I'm not going to get mad at you. But I just... I can't help but feel like it's a little premature because even though I'm enjoying it, I don't feel fully comfortable yet saying one thing or another about like it definitively, you know? Yeah. And just to say like, eh, eh, it's just, it's just Gary's mod and breath of the wild. I'm like, that is a, (laughs) that is such a reductive way to look at this, you know? Mm. I will, I will say on the flip side, there's, the one of the reviews that I think a lot of people have been passing around, like one of the like critic reviews, like somebody who got an early copy yeah. of the game, played it, through it, gave it a six out of ten, which was like making its way, you know, around the internet that day, um, as like kind of the one outlier. Like most sure. people gave it like tens. Well, let me actually let me take a step back because there's been a lot of just conversation about review scores in general, which I, I just would like to address. I think it's very silly the the focus on like review scores in general, specifically like Eurogamer just showed up and they're like, hey, we're we're switching uh back to review scores we're doing it out of five stars which even just when you're taking any game right and and lining it up in like metacritic does with all of the other review scores and all the other arbitrary numbers that people come up with for all of their reviews on all of their different video game websites some people do it out of 100 some people do it out of 10 some people are doing it out of five and what that means is when Eurogamer gives this game a five or or four stars out of five that technically means it's 80 percent of the way there so it's an 80 out of 100 because you have to compare it against the people who are scoring out of 100 so Eurogamer's review which reads glowingly and is like this game is great there's like a couple things here and there that I wish had changed but it's almost perfect four out of five because they're not doing half stars or anything almost perfect four out of five that 80 is going to drive the score down so I'm just, it's like it's it's just a maddening way of thinking about art in my opinion um, yeah, but yeah. I understand the service journalism side of it that's like you you want to serve people who are like going to maybe spend again $70 on this of it's course. like not yeah. it's not like a like a uh, it's not chump change you know but all of that said there is the person that gave it a 6 out of 10 I read that review I think it's like really interesting and I think it's good to have that kind of input specifically from somebody who's like coming in not a huge fan of Breath of the Wild for reasons that I think are totally valid and coming in to see if Tears of the Kingdom has changed those things to bring them back into the fold. And like it didn't. And we'll get into why that is. But I think Tears of the Kingdom makes a lot of decisions that double down on a lot of the things that those people didn't like about the first game. Totally. Which is like, that's totally fair. But I know where you're coming from, which is like the people who for the past eight months have been like, this is just DLC, which like drives me up a fucking wall. It's just we're looking we're looking in different realities. Again, I'm not trying to come at anyone who who genuinely doesn't like this game everyone has a different opinion everyone's opinion is valid it's kind of like missing the wood for the trees we're like i am upset at the like pre-baked ready to go uh disappointment for any new game it's yeah. you know it's like i i just find that uh to be disappointing yeah uh there's i mean there's so much nuance we can get into because even <laughs> even down that rabbit hole of like the let people enjoy things take there's a bunch of like problematic shit it's just i feel like there's no winning <laughs> yeah unfortunately but I know, I know where you're coming from but how do, how do we feel about it I'll, let, let's take a step back let's talk about breath of the wild for a second because I, you and i 
love Breath of the Wild. You hadn't played it when we started doing the show, which was interesting. Like if you go back and listen to season one, it's like you getting it. I mean, you played it a little bit on the Wii U, if I recall correctly, but you yeah. didn't have your own Switch or your own copy of Breath of the Wild until after we had started doing the show. Yeah, it's uh, kind of funny. I, I We opened the way we just did because... I was kind of skeptical of it, to be honest, as a, as a lifelong Zelda fan. Yeah, it is so new and so different uh, that my roommate had it on the Wii U. And I was like, interesting, interesting choices here. What's going on here? <laughs> right. um, and I remember playing it on on his Wii U and getting like completely sucked into catching horses. It's like all I did <laughs> for like weeks. So for me, it was essentially like a horse racing sim mm -hmm. uh, the first time I played it. And uh, there was also a weird glitch with his copy where like certain quests weren't able to work. Like the game would crash in certain places. It's a bummer. So it was it was definitely not the best like first. Like, I still like I, I was really intrigued by it, but I didn't I didn't get that time to like fall into it. And then uh, I got my switch like in early or actually halfway through 2018, pretty early into our show. That might have even been like our first or second episode. I got a switch. Yeah. And that came with Mario Kart. I got Mario Kart, Octopath Traveler and Breath of the Wild. And uh, I, I really, really fell in love with it once I had like my own copy and my own time to play it. I still feel like I didn't get like that time to like fall into it until we did our bonus about it with our friend Sadie because I got it around the same time we started doing the show so like my attention was kind of divided between a million different games so I didn't have that like the switch just came out Breath of the Wild is mm -hmm. one of like the seven games available yeah. just fall in uh, the way like I did with Skyrim, like when Skyrim came out, I got it the day it came out. Right. 11, 11, 11. I corrupted my entire college house with it. Everyone got a copy. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I've always like held Breath of the Wild as a, as a sacred experience. But there was part of me that was like sad. I, I didn't get that initial like this is the only game I'm playing. I'm just going to do everything mm -hmm. uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, for me, I just I just remember early on before the game had come out and like a couple of Nintendo directs leading up were kind of showing off some stuff about Breath of the Wild, which was like kind of weirdly similar to the way Tears of the Kingdom was marketed was like you don't even really know what is possible or what the game is or how it's structured at all before that game comes out. I just remember shots of Ayanuma in, in the Nintendo Direct, like showing Link riding a horse through some trees, doing like horseback combat. And everyone's like, oh man, you can fight people on the back of a horse. That's so cool. Thinking that that's like, the big focus of the game you know <laughs> until some of the interviews started coming out where he specifically stated like i love skyrim and i want to find some ways of incorporating what worked about skyrim in the world of zelda um especially hot off the heels of a link between worlds on the 3ds kind of taking that approach of uh breaking up the progression of the game into like player decision specifically saying you can go do any of these temples in any order you can rent the different weapons and different items make your way through different temples in whatever order you want was like a huge break for the series and going from that into this was like oh okay you're making an open world zelda game it's implied that you're gonna have the freedom of choice to kind of do whatever you want in any order and then i remember right before the game came out some interview that was like if you want you can just go right to Hyrule Castle and fight Ganon like from the beginning you could like wake up and go and do that and I think that was the moment at least for me that I remember where I had this like oh my god I think this is going to be a really big deal moment like before the game came out was like they're doing something really special here and I don't even know what that is yet and I can't wait to find out and got a switch on launch day started playing it and it had my holy shit moment uh yeah I, it's weird my my 
memory of playing Breath of the Wild for the first time, like my first like real playthrough is such like a such like a mirage in my head. Like I, I have bits of even as I'm talking about, it, I'm remembering things here and there. I'm remembering like Link dressed up as a Gerudo sneaking into the Gerudo fortress, like things like that, like just kind of pop in and out of my head. Just these memories that are like so fun and so interesting and so cool. But I think what's interesting about Breath of the Wild outside of just what that game did by itself is kind of the life it's taken on after in like the years after Breath of the Wild came out. I think there's two different avenues that you can go down, one of which is the people who are keeping Breath of the Wild alive, like the people who are posting videos and stuff to social media of like, how are how are they taking, you know, the Bacoblin guts and inflating them and making a hot air balloon in Breath of the Wild or, you know, modding things in so it's like, what happens if you have, you know, 500 dogs at this stable or something? <laughs> uh, does the game crash or not? Like that kind of stuff, which I think is cool. So like there's this, you know, vibrant community of people doing really creative stuff with Breath of the Wild still six years later, which, as I have mentioned many times on this show and also on Wavelengths, is like a miracle. I mean, every video game company that makes any piece of content wants that you know that's like the yeah. dream is that six years later your single player game still has a vibrant community of people talking about it so it's a miracle the other angle that i think is really interesting is the video games that have clearly taken inspiration from breath of the wild since it came out because when that game came out 2017 as, as we've mentioned it's been you know it's been six years since that game came out i can't believe it's been six years <laughs> <laughs> it's wild uh, yeah it's been six years since that game came out and as you and I have been doing the show, we've had a lot of episodes where we brought games to the show, been like, it's clear that they took inspiration from Breath of the Wild for X, Y, or Z thing. And we've talked about this a lot with Breath of the Wild. We've talked about this a lot with the Souls stuff as well. But just in general, I think like the games taking inspiration from Breath of the Wild has been one of the more interesting aspects of, of doing the show for the past couple of years. Like, I feel like that game by itself has kind of had this outsized impact on, you know, every, I would say everything in the medium of video games. But I think just even in Into the Aether sense, like it's such a it's such a resonant touchstone for almost yeah. everything that we talk about because it's so important to you and I, but it's also so clearly important to the industry at large. And it's so interesting to to have this like kind of like holistic and also very singular view of its inspiration at the same time. I think I think that's really beautiful. I think it's a thing that doesn't happen very often, which is why, you know, when we were covering Elden Ring, when Elden Ring first came out, we had our friend Chris Plant on the show to talk about it because it was it was interesting to have the perspective of like someone who was running a pretty big video game outlet yeah. talk about like the prep for a game like that. But even at the time, like people had a hunch that Elden Ring was going to be a big deal, but then it comes out and you play it for, you know, the first 10 hours, the day it comes out. And then it's like, Oh my God, all I want to do is this. I'm, I'm losing sleep. This is like the only thing I'm going to do for two weeks. And you start to realize that you're having that Holy shit moment all over again. Like the feeling that I, I personally had playing breath of the wild. I was feeling again, playing Elden Ring. And I remember remarking on either that episode or maybe the one after it, but in general, I've, I've said this more than once is it's just so cool to be doing a video game show and to be like part of the community in general like just yeah. be part of people who are excited about video games at a time when something like Elden Ring comes out and I've been so looking forward to this episode and Tears of the Kingdom because it's like the easiest slam dunk of all time to say that this game is going to be good and probably a big deal again yeah um, there's there was we had in the discord in our discord we had this moment that was like what if though <laughs> like what, what if, if reviews didn't come yeah. out until the day before like what <laughs> what if the reviews come out and everyone's like, eh, it's 
it's okay. You know, that would have been a nightmare. But I think pretty safe to say it was going to be really great, especially based on like the hands-on coverage, the preview coverage, things like that. I, I have just been so looking forward to this episode because I feel like in the same, and especially now having played some of it, in the same ways that Breath of the Wild had this huge influence on game design for years, and we're still seeing it because games that started getting developed in 2017, 2018, inspired by Breath of the Wild are like just coming out now or like coming out soon. Yeah. Like the ones that are like really inspired by it. Like they played that game and then said, okay, let's get into pre-production. Let's start designing a game. Those are the games that are like coming out now. And Tears of the Kingdom, I think, is going to do the exact same thing again for completely different reasons. And that's yeah. so exciting to me. Yeah, I totally think you're right. And it's really fascinating to you to think about pre-Breath of the Wild Zelda because I, I feel like as influential as Zelda is, I mean, in some ways, like 90% of games could could indirectly cite Zelda as an influence of some kind. Yeah. It's like so in the air of games. But in some ways, I feel like the series has kind of been in a bubble up until Breath of the Wild. Like I feel like a lot of the games that directly cited Zelda as an influence, like in the last decade, usually it's like Zelda one or like the older <laughs> yeah. top-down Zeldas. There weren't a lot of games that were specifically going after like Ocarina or Twilight Prince. In, in the same direct noticeable way mm -hmm. and likewise i don't think zelda was really like looking at other games coming out the way nintendo is always kind of in their own bubble i feel like the closest i could remember is like clearly twilight princess like really loved eco and shadow of the colossus yeah <laughs> right but that's like okay greatest game of all time also likes greatest game of all time they shake hands in the distance <laughs> it was really cool to see breath of the wild kind of look on and I'm, I'm oversimplifying here of course i'm sure influence was going on all the time but like visibly on like a surface level you know the only game i could think of that was like really like a zelda like was okami that was like really going after like a 3d zelda sort of experience yeah i don't know if you played the darksiders games but those ones are very much those are very zelda -y. yeah i just feel like there was almost like an intimidating air to be like we're going to try to make a game like the 3d zelda yeah it's funny, I, I keep bringing it up, but even in the in the Psychonauts 2 documentary, there's a moment where they're like, there's a little bit of Zelda in Psychonauts, and that's terrifying. <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> they, they, they specifically state, like, it's it feels so silly to compare yourself to a thing like Zelda, which is like, exactly, so yeah. huge. That's, that's kind of what I'm trying to say, exactly. So Breath of the Wild being like, we're going to look at games like Skyrim and like Minecraft and yeah. really internalize and, and use like modern game design, but filter it through what zelda does so well and you get a new thing out of that like you get a new blueprint for open world games right which is so exciting and i think as much as tears of the kingdom is very you know what i was expecting and it's it's hard to really know for sure because like there's so many emotions involved here too but what i was preparing myself for with tears of the kingdom was like iteration like, honestly, on a very baseline acceptable level, all they had to do was what a lot of those reviews I pointed out accused this game of doing. Like, same map, a few new things, done. Boom. Like, right. I think they could have done that and people still would have liked it. Yeah, my, my worst case scenario for a game that I would have liked would have been exactly kind of that is like same exact map, add dungeons. Right, right. Exactly. If you add dungeons and a little bit more of a narrative, so there's like a little bit more of a drive, I think that would have been enough for me. And I think some people, you know, again, I'm not sure trying to, to shame anybody. I feel like if, if that is your read on this game, then, you know, 
that's your read on this game. But I, I do think like clearly there are fundamentally different focuses going on from the time I've played. I just feel like the tone and the atmosphere and like what I am incentivized to do and how I'm choosing to kind of go through the world and connect with it. Obviously, there's a lot of like, you know, the link is full of good food. Animation is the same. And like mm-hmm. this sort of like basic vocabulary of like I can climb anything. I have stamina. I have hearts. Like All of that is the same. Yeah. But I really I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at how different it just feels like I feel like they are pretty distinct entries in the same way Ocarina and Majora were distinct from each other. Yeah, I, I feel that way, too. I, I think the bigger thing for me, like the, the, the zoom out as far as you can approach uh, to, to talking about this game that I feel is like Breath of the Wild to me. When I when I look at that game and what that game was trying to accomplish, I feel like if you were to, if you were to rank the feelings or the 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 ideas that the development team wanted to elicit in the player, Number one and two in this order specifically are exploration and creativity. And I yeah. feel like Tears of the Kingdom has flipped those. Yeah. And, and creativity is now the focus way more so than exploration. Not that there isn't still a focus on exploration, because that's, I think, one of the like miraculous things about this game is that it kind of does just have everything in it. It feels like five or six video games worth of stuff all packed into one video game, which is very cool. But I, I think to me, that's that's the big feeling that I'm getting from this, which I like personally, especially coming off of something like Elden Ring last year where, you know, we played that game and that game really that game is all exploration and discovery. Like that is yeah. the, the meat and potatoes of what Elden Ring wants to do is like, you know, the combat is still going to feel good because it's a FromSoft Souls game. So like you're going to you're going to have that combat and that's, you know, the lowest bar they need to clear what is going on on top of that and the open world structure. They ask themselves, you know, OK, how does an open world make Dark Souls more interesting? And the answer is discovering horrors that you can't even possibly imagine. <laughs> or delights that you can't even possibly imagine yeah uh, which is yeah. very cool and then i i was thinking about i was thinking about elden ring a lot when starting to play this game because i'm like i just had my hundred hour deep dive into like a, a hugely beautiful open world with like a bunch of stuff to discover and i i didn't personally think that tears of the kingdom was going to be able to recapture that same feeling that i had because elden ring to me raises the bar even above breath of the wild in a lot of those respects yeah i would agree despite yeah. that being the focus of breath of the wild i think elden ring does it better in a lot of cases and i think it was fucking brilliant for the the Zelda team to look at Breath of the Wild and and ask themselves like okay what is the main inspiration point that people seem to be taking from Breath of the Wild the answer is always the like open world as a means of discovering things and there have been good and bad uses of that Elden Ring obviously a good one but you look at some of like the you know Ubisoft open world stuff I would say in the years since which has been you know they, they're taking inspiration from Breath of the Wild, clearly, but also are littering the map with, you know, a hundred fucking icons. So really, it's like a regression and a step forward at the same time. They like cancel each other out. So to look at, you know, this world where like everybody's putting a hand glider in their game. Everybody is saying that they're like Studio Ghibli inspired. Everybody is going after, you know, the, the same kind of like sparse piano stuff that Breath of the Wild was doing for the Zelda team to take a step back and say, OK, that's what people seem to think this game is about. What's the more interesting approach? that we can take for a sequel and say well those videos where people are creating hot air balloons in breath of the wild is actually really fascinating let's dig into that and see what kind of video game that can be if that's the focus has made for what what feel as you're getting to what feels like a totally different thing because the main focus of the game has changed you could still use the same map which it's not to be clear the map is like pretty markedly different some you know some of the 
touch points are still where they were in the first game, but things have changed dramatically. We'll get into that later. But, you know, using a, a similar style map, I should say, having the, the main crux of the gameplay design focus be different makes the whole game feel different. And that, I think, is what makes for a good sequel in this case. There's also, I mean, I think we're we're approaching talking about like the new powers here, which yeah. I'd love to discuss. But real quick, because it's like slightly more boring revelations, <laughs> I wanted to just like list <laughs> some like really subtle refinements that I think go a long way as well. Yeah. From the first game. Give me that good quality of life. Something that you mentioned Ubisoft and I remembered, what, one of the weaker elements of Breath of the Wild, in my opinion, were the side quests. Um, specifically, like the there's someone in town who wants five apples. Mm-hmm. There was almost no incentive to doing like there were some standouts, but overall, a lot of them were like weird fetch quests that gave you almost no like meaningful reward. Yeah, your reward is a shield that's worse than the one you have already. Yeah, right. Or like 20 rupees. And it's all going to break. So doesn't even matter. Yeah. For some reason in this game, I am way more likely to do all the side quests. One, there's there are a lot more interesting ones. Like yeah. one of the recurring ones is uh, uh, I won't spoil what it is, but there's a person holding up a sign in various parts of the map. Yeah. And the sign has like one sort of like tree trunk holding it or, you know, wooden pole holding it in place. And there's nothing on the other side. And the person is like desperately holding on and is like, I can't, I, I, I'll be here all day if I have to, but I'm running out of energy. Mm. Um, so you, you need to basically use one of your abilities to, to support the other side of the sign so that when the person lets go, it will still stand up. And once it stands up, they'll secure it and it will be like good. Yeah. And it's a little, it's like a little puzzle with the answer being like, pretty open and that's i think kind of microcosmic of the whole game is like zelda is known for puzzles the the melody that plays when you solve a puzzle is like the thrill of a zelda game yeah and the fact that you can do like the most freely creative like child scribbling in their coloring book with crayons with no care about what is logical or makes sense you can do something that is like purely for fun and out of your imagination but like you still have to find what works Mm -hmm. but what works could be anything the fact that you get that zelda jingle with that many options of what the solution is is i think the beauty of this game because it shows like it's not like super open and loose like something like scribble knots where you can just write like helicopter and you win right it's (laughs) it's still really it's in some ways even more demanding because there are more options and there's more uh ways to sort of mess up or or fail but i think the victory feels so personally earned even if there's a lot of subtle factors that are like subconsciously reinforcing what the solution is yeah but i think the the side quests are much better and another decision that i've noticed and maybe this is just because i'm early on in the game so this could change but it seems like the economy of resources has shifted dramatically down so that like money is much harder to find in general, like materials are more sacred because you're using a lot of them to like right. fuse weapons together, make them stronger or, you know, throw them at enemies in some cases. Mm-hmm. So I just find that like I am more incentivized to help because I have nothing. And this <laughs> game is also one of we'll get into this more in spoilers. But one of the themes I'm noticing is like collective action, you know, is a lot of like absolutely power friendship. Sure. But like just like we actually all have to work together. I it's can't like, wait to talk about this because it's is, like not yeah. all on link this time. 
um yeah which is interesting yeah so i weirdly have enjoyed that shift like making money feel more valuable like there was a point where the area i wanted to go to was too cold for me so i either needed to like stock up on food and like have a bunch of like food that made me resistant to the cold or you know invest in clothes that give me like a permanent cold resistance i also <laughs> they added clothes that give you a slip resistance which is a really fun way of acknowledging everyone hated it when it rained in yeah. breath of the wild yeah love the slip resistance and i also think that um i know the weapon durability is like a big uh point of tension with a lot of people my take on it has always been i think it's obviously there for a design purpose in breath of the wild i think the weapons were meant to break quickly so you're always incentivized to keep exploring and keep finding new things right i will say though i think it was a little bit too frequent and also once you found like a really cool weapon you never wanted to use it because you didn't want it to break yes so i think in the first game uh I won't spoil what it is, but there is one weapon uh, that recharges rather than break. And that was a really nice middle ground. So it was really exciting to get that weapon and we're able to use it and enjoy it. But there was still a trade off. And I kind of I hope there are more weapons like that in Tears of the Kingdom. But even still, I think the fact that most of the weapons you find in this game are like rusted or incomplete to incentivize you to like make better ones. It makes the durability feel a little bit more earned, in my opinion. Yeah, adding. So, yeah, they, they add a little little bit of a story reason for the fact that all of the weapons are, are will break which i think just by itself helps the weapon durability stuff like in general um but on top of that i think you're right that it just it just feels a lot better in this game because taking those weapons that you know are going to break and fusing them to items that you're finding on the ground will have a bunch of different effects some of them will just increase the attack power which is cool but some of them will just increase the durability like if you take like a stick and add a boulder to the top of it that stick and boulder weapon is gonna last a lot longer which is like super helpful and really great you can also like notably you don't have at least currently i don't have bombs this time as like a constant ability so to clear a lot of yeah. rocks you either need to have bomb flowers on you or my favorite thing in the world, stick a claymore into a stone and suddenly you have a big hammer that just destroys everything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You need like a big blunt object. Yeah. Which I think is cool. The, the second point that you brought up, though, the idea that some weapons that are really great, you don't want to use for fear of them breaking does not go away at all. Unfortunately, that uh, yeah. I, I totally agree with you that that is like still one of my biggest pet peeves. I, I won't say what it is, but I just found like a weapon that is like I, I really went out of my way, found a weapon that is like a named weapon legendary a thing that shows up at a pivotal point in a previous zelda game is all i'll say about it um and i will never use it probably yeah. <laughs> i just it's just in my inventory taking up space forever because i can't drop it because it's important but also uh i will never use it because uh, what if it breaks and then i just can't get a new one so i'm yeah. kind of at the point now where i'm like i need to figure out how to build a house so i can uh the store so I can just store it forever yeah. and just like look at it I guess that's what I did I mean there are a, a few weapons in Breath of the Wild like the uh each like faction I believe gives you like a unique weapon that you can repair so there is like a little bit of a trade-off there but it's still not enough and it, it weirdly has the uh inverse effect of making the discovery of items feel more stressful than like exciting because mm. you're just like well i, I, I don't want to break this this yeah. is too nice for me to own yeah maybe we're just both anxious people but that's just how i feel maybe I <laughs> but also like, i was just in like an end game area earlier right before we started recording and there were a bunch of weapons on the ground and i was like i could take these now and use them and like they'd be very helpful for me right now but they're all gonna break by the time i get back to this place when i'm supposed to 
be here when I really need them and they won't be here because I will have already used them. Yeah. Which is a really tough decision to make all based around the fact that there is weapon durability, which again, to be clear, as you mentioned, like I like that system. I think it's interesting and I think it incentivizes, as you said, exploration and reward and discovery. I think all of that is good, but it's, it's the moments where it's like you're getting the big cool weapon knowing that it's going to break where it gets disappointing. Yeah, I, I honestly, I mean, it's kind of interesting too to see like the success of Elden Ring and Tears of the Kingdom has shed a new light on a lot of more underrated games of the past. Like a lot of people are bringing up the third Banjo-Kazooie, um, yeah. you know, Nuts and Bolts, uh, Gravity Rush, our, our favorite. Um, mm-hmm. There's obviously like, you know, and it's cool to see a lot of these like older games that are maybe more focused on like one really cool mechanic being consciously or not integrated within this game. Um, but I think the big one that keeps coming up that is like totally back in the zeitgeist is Dragon's Dogma, which you messaged me like, yeah, this game reminds me so much of Dragon's Dogma. And when I think about when I think about why I like Dragon's Dogma, other than just like the sort of oblivion camp of it all and the and the wild combat options, which do kind of uh, that is a game that leads with creativity, too, I think, in terms of like how you can build your character, how you can kind of intuitively attack a monster and like a, a monster hunter or shadow of the colossus kind of way where you're climbing them and cutting off different body parts yeah but what i loved about the loop of that game was like the minute you left town you knew you were fucked like right you just knew the danger of the world and you knew that this game didn't care what level you were or to restrict end game areas (laughs) you could go down a well right outside the starting town and there's like level 50 lizard people waiting for you Mm -hmm. and for some that might be really frustrating and like sometimes it's a bit too much but I think what it has done is it has made that game feel so alive for a long time. That game is a decade old and people still go back to it and talk about it as the gold standard for design. And it's cool to see like a more modern approach at that idea of making a world feel alive and feel dangerous so that when you do find a town in Tears of the Kingdom, you're like, oh, thank God I can like cook. I can can plan for how my next outing is going to go. Because I also think that this game is like it just feels more oppressive in general. It feels like a, a darker and more intimidating place to be even when you're in the sky which is like nice and there's robots like love your dive do you want to do a puzzle yeah most of the game it does it does feel like they are without spoiling too much there is like a collage of zelda references happening but i do think the compare like the early predictions of this game kind of being the majora to breath of the wild ocarina i think are apt based on what's going on in this game yeah yeah it the game is, for all intents and purposes, significantly more difficult than the first one, I would say, in almost every yeah. respect. I, I think in combat, the game throws you into the deep end pretty quickly. And even in the puzzle solving, I think the game gets a little bit more difficult. And there are a lot more puzzles as well. Uh, so like even the shrines, which make a reappearance in this game, uh, there's, you know, I don't know how many there are. I imagine 100 plus, just like in the last game. But all of the shrines, not all, but a lot of the shrines I found, I would say, have been uh, more difficult than they were in the first game. Whereas in the first game, running around in Breath of the Wild, you find a shrine, you unlock that as a fast travel point. Very cool. Great. You go in, you solve the puzzle, you're out and you continue making your way, you know, to whatever thing you were making your way towards. In this game specifically, I am finding my 
experience being I will go discover a shrine, unlock it as a fast travel point, walk into the shrine, go absolutely not. I don't ha- <laughs> I'm not in the brain space for this right now and then just leave and then make my way because it's, I've done a, the same thing. it's enough of yeah. a deviation that I'm like, I, I would rather have this be a fast travel point. And it's funny, I was talking to our friend Alana uh, about, about this last night, but she and I were commiserating about this. It's like, it'll actually be nice when, you know, we're done with the story and we're done with, you know, all of the other stuff or that we like really care about to sit down and have, you know, 80 shrines that we could just kind of knock out at some point, you know, like, oh, here's here's our little post game is just like going and doing all the shrines that I unlocked, but didn't actually beat, um, which will be nice. But I will say and this is maybe a good way to get into some of the powers and stuff. The shrines that I have completed, I have completed almost every single one in the absolute dumbest way you could possibly do it, <laughs> which has been so fun. Like there, <laughs> there are so many cases where I've walked into a shrine. I've been like, oh, I know what you want me to do i'm not doing that thanks though and then finding a completely other stupid way of doing it which was the thing that was present in the first game but it was a little bit more at the edges right like the people who yeah, were you had to you had to really go out of your way to do it i think yeah the yeah. people who were dropping all of their metal weapons on the ground to create a circuit right things like that 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 was a cool way of like uh, quote-unquote breaking breath of the wild like obviously those systems are in there so you're not really breaking it but like those systems are a little bit out of the realm of possibility i think for most players in tears of the kingdom that stuff is active at the forefront and they want you to be doing things in the Which dumbest so way cool. you can co- come up with yeah and it kind of reminds me a bit of neon white in the sense of like neon white as a game gamifying the thrill of being a speedrunner. like the game is right. is built around the idea of like you are going to understand speedrunning tactics in a way that feels kind of natural mm-hmm. and and i was kind of skeptical because i'm like i'm not really like a speedrunning person I don't know that's going to be fun for me. And the game like does a really great job convincing you why it's fun yeah. uh, in the context of that game. And with this, like I never was really that kind of Breath of the Wild player. I was like sort of sort of boring. I just liked climbing and like listening to music. Me too. And, I never, you know, y- you had your whole horse thing. I never once tamed a horse in the first game. I just ran the whole time. I ran, <laughs> climbed and glided the whole, my whole time through Breath of the Wild. Small thing that made me actually start crying your horses carry over. Yeah. If you awesome. go to a stable, Malibu was there waiting for me. And I was like, oh my God, it's Malibu. Yeah. He's like a completely average horse, but he has like bangs covering his eyes. And I'm like, I'm in love with you. <laughs> um, is blue. Like there's a blue horse. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what, what I will say, and this is currently like the big point Breath of the Wild has potentially above Tears of the Kingdom. I found Breath of the Wild to be much quieter and more Mm. zen and a little bit more like comfortable with silence and with like nothing immediately around you yeah this game is a lot more energetic which is not worse it's just a different experience it's like pretty much every time you look around i mean even the way the towers look like in in the first game the towers were these like uh i almost said shinra more on that in a second uh the first (laughs) game had these like sheikah old architecture that had this technology that would light up so they kind of like they sort of even though they stood out they kind of blended in visually with the environment and the game did a really cool thing where everything you have it unlocked was orange and everything you had was blue and that really blended into the sky or stood out with the sky depending on what time of day it was yeah in this game the shrines are green they they are these like sort of a seashell shaped like dirt mounds yeah. that pop out of the ground. That's, they're pretty. That's a <laughs> poor way of describing <laughs> But they're these like interesting shapes that, that have just surfaced and no one really knows what's going on with them. And there's a aura green and blue around them. 
And then the towers are these newly constructed things that have like skylights below them. It almost feels very Gotham or like, yeah. like, a, like the Shinra building. It's like intimidating. Right. Uh, they, they stand out. And I, I like that they're doing a different color palette here. But even just that choice makes those things feel way more intimidating than welcoming. Going back to what you said about like, mm. I'm going to go to the shrine to make it a fast travel point, but I'm not going in there yet. Yeah. I do that with caves too. Like <laughs> there are now like caves we walk in and it will say discovery. There was one cave where our old friend the like like was waiting with his many siblings just like on the wall and i I just went like nah nah i just like walked out immediately (laughs) for those who don't know like likes make a triumphant uh, reappearance uh they are recurring zelda enemies that are these weird worms that would eat your shield in past games they're huge now and they have like alien queen retracting mouths yeah uh, terrible yeah yeah but yeah i guess maybe we can talk a bit about the powers here yeah i think we should yeah so yeah. so in breath of the wild you you had a bunch of powers at your disposal um the the ones that i i think about the most are the ability to freeze things in time uh which allowed you to like if you froze a boulder and then hit it a bunch with a sword you would like build up a bunch of momentum so when time unfroze that boulder would go flying um you had the ability to drop spherical bombs or cubic bombs which i really loved you had the ability to like freeze stuff so if you needed to like make platforms and water you could just like freeze an area of the water and jump onto it um i'm, I'm trying to remember if there's another one there's yeah uh, magnesis oh and the there's magnesis one. which allows you yeah. to like lift stuff up and move it around you know all of those were great and i liked them a lot and i think that they were really good for what that game was trying to do and this game saying we're doubling down on creativity specifically means we're getting an entirely different suite of powers which i i would i would just say like we're not in the spoiler section yet but if you really don't want spoilers like this is absolutely your off-ramp i guess if you yeah. haven't seen like even the marketing for this game because this isn't all the marketing but just here's your off-ramp the new powers are, are fascinating and, and they they give them to you in a very like great plateau-esque tutorial in a sky island at the top of the game yeah but they are essentially uh ultra hand which is the ability to uh take things like take objects and materials around the world and pick them up and attach them to one another, which we'll get into the ramifications of that later. Uh, there, so there's Ultra Hand. There's um, the ability to rewind time. So if a thing is like moving in one direction, you can you can take that object and then have it rewind in time, uh, which is frequently used for things like platforms that are kind of spinning in a circle. Or uh, I, I would say the most frequent use is if you're on the ground and you see a rock fall from the sky, you can stand on top of that rock, rewind the rock, back into the sky and use it almost as an elevator to like take you back up into the sky and i think it's like a fixed like 15 seconds or so it's like a fairly short amount of time you can do Uh, it it does the thing that i love from um oh shit i just forgot the name of that game it was like portal uh right i was thinking of that uh the something center the entropy center yes It, it it does that thing that i love from the entropy center where you can see the trajectory of the item like as soon as you hit yeah. it with the rewind feature you can see the trajectory that it took so you kind of like know a little bit of its path uh, but you can also use that to your advantage it like if you haven't played the entropy center go do that because that game is amazing and is essentially yeah. I, I think to your point about like you could take any of these powers and make a whole game out of them the entropy center is taking that rewind feature and take making a whole game out of it which is very yeah. cool um so anyway that's rewind uh there's also fuse which i think is outside of ultra hand maybe the most fascinating thing that they put in this game because i can't believe that it's real which is the ability to take any item that you find 
and fuse it to one of your weapons or your shields, which allows you to, in a case like, as we were talking about before, if you have a stick, you can attach a boulder to the end of it, and I have a big blunt object you can use to, like, bust up rocks. Or if you find, like, a flame emitter, for example, you can put it on your shield. So every time you block with your shield, it's also a flamethrower. Every single item, this is the thing that blows my mind, every single item in the game, every material that drops from an enemy, every, like, piece of fruit or a plant that you can find on the ground, all of that stuff will have a different effect depending on what it's fused to, which is unfathomable to think about, like the, the the process of making that. And even doubling down on that, like I feel like some combinations will just visually, like if you attach like a piece of flint to your shield, it will look like a shield with a piece of flint stuck to it. Right. But it will give some kind of bonus of some variety. Yeah. I imagine it sparks. Like I, I haven't tried that, but I imagine if somebody hits it with a metal object, it'll like spark like flint does. Yeah. But with a lot of the weapons, like... Oh, if my you God. Find like a, do you think if you have a, a wooden shield with flint on it and a, an enemy hits you with a, a metal sword, do you think the flint sparks and then lights your shield on fire? Probably. Probably, I would, right? I would imagine so, yeah. Ugh. But a lot of the weapons are, like, pitched as being incomplete. They're either, like, rusty... Yeah. Uh, or they're like um, old artifact swords that are like almost like lightsabers with no sword visible. Right. A lot of the simple weapons will be like you have a piece of amber and you stick it to one of the swords and then it will actually make like a unique looking sort of like a boko spear or like a, mm-hmm. uh, a different weapon that looks like a completed thing. So there are kind of some recipes that will make sort of fully fledged weapons. And then there are some that are just like, I sure did take a giant's toenail and put it on my shield. Right. And now it's a better shield. Yeah. There was a point where I had a toenail shield and a tone, like a big stick with a toenail in it as an ax. And I was cutting down every tree <laughs> to build a giant bridge. And I'm like, I'm worse than Ganon currently. <laughs> like the game has given me no reason to root for Link. Toenail Link. Yeah, exactly. Like, this probably smells terrible. Yeah. It's like raining, like a wet toenail, like flint in the air. <laughs> so I'm like, this is actually getting to me. I need to change what I'm doing. Yeah. But yeah, Fuse is, I would say like Ultra Hand and Fuse are like the bread and butter. Like that's... That is sort of what the game is expecting you will be using the most. And they do a great job. Like when you're in either mode, you'll visually see what's possible. The items that are able to be fused or the items that are able to be ultra hand stuck together uh, will light up in a way that's very visible. Yeah, Uh, which is just so smart. I didn't even mention you can also fuse anything to your arrows. So as you're like pulling back on an arrow, you can bring up your inventory and decide what you want to fuse the tip of the arrow of which, again, there are just like an unbelievable amount of options there. I think my favorite one that I love pointing out is the ability to take the eyeballs of the bats and and put them on the tops of your arrows, which turns them into homing arrows, which is really great because, you know, a lot of this game takes place in the sky. There are a lot more skybound enemies that are a little bit harder to hit because they're, you know, flying around. Uh, so having the ability to like throw a homing arrow into the air so you just know it's going to hit your target is just incredible. Um, there's some other ones like like actually if you take the wings of those bats also infuse them to an arrow, it will just fly in it perfectly straight line so instead of like having the kind of arc of an arrow as you shoot it into the air and needing to like aim a little bit above your enemy you could just like fuse a wing to it and it'll just go straight which is very cool um but then you also have the like elemental stuff right like if you throw like a fire pepper on top of an arrow then you know it'll kind of explode and yeah or the chew jelly is really useful yeah you can make like a bomb you could have bomb arrows uh things like that which is very cool i've killed myself with the bomb arrow so many times by accident over and over again it is a big explosion. Yeah. Finally is Ascend, which is 
the last big power, which I just, I just, of all of them, this is the one that I'm like amazed they just put in the game. Like Fuse is fascinating because of the amount of work it would take to do that. And Ascend is almost like the opposite in a way. Ascend is like, let's just put the developer tools in the game as a power. It feels like, <laughs> like, let's just like actually take no clip and call it something different. Yeah. Ascend is where you get a little bit of Gravity Rush vibes. Totally. Which I love. Yeah. And it's really like the whole game really wants you to think vertically which we'll get into more in in spoilers but like even you know just saying it simply like there are a lot of things that are below or like even just in a singular town there are a lot of things like in a town that will be below a space or above them Mm -hmm. and so ascend essentially like if you are underneath like a ceiling or something that's like low enough and clear enough link can jump up and then basically like swim through it and like this weird glowing ray of light and then pop out the other side so it makes like getting out of caves really easy right um, but it also opens up so many traversal options which is actually kind of why like in breath of the wild so you know quick reminder like in in both games uh once you've cleared four shrines you can upgrade your hearts or your stamina wheel and in breath of the wild i always go like a bunch of stamina early on Same. because i want to be able to go more places here i've been doing hearts every time because enemies hit so hard and i have so many options to get around via ascend and ultra hand if i make my cursed tree bridges out of toenail axes <laughs> i can get to places without even having to climb right so i found that i i'm i'm more likely to get hearts at least at this point in the game um but yeah, ascend is like they do a good job where like the it's not available to you all the time because i think that would reduce a lot of the tension of the world so when it is you it's easy to forget about and it's 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 thrilling to pull off yeah and i think what they've done is like you know the breath of the wild abilities while there are some more out there ones like freezing time and and uh magnesis those are all like pretty you could kind of find a zelda item from the past that is sort of like a one-to-one mm, for that. Right. So I, I feel like it was a follow-up to the design of Link Between Worlds where you could rent any item anytime. Breath of the Wild is basically saying, okay, these are the abilities that will like you need to do anything. Like the shrines will rely on these tools. Mm-hmm. You need these tools to get around. But otherwise, like you're set to go. And whatever you find is just like cool to have. But these are like the basics. And the same is true for Tears of the Kingdom, but the abilities are just like so much more wild like the closest i can think of are the masks in majora like the the transformation masks that like change link into a new form and and can do different things but otherwise like i don't think there's really ever been a zelda item that gives you this much power uh it's it's kind of amazing that they give you this much ability and you still feel helpless i think that's kind of why the game is is harsher because they kind of have to turn the heat up a bit to like account for all the things you can do from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's maybe a good way to go a little bit deeper into Ultra Hand, which is essentially your Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts thing, which allows you to take objects and materials that are kind of littered around the world and use them to craft and create new things. Um, So, for example, if you find like three logs, for example, and a sail, you can put it on top of the three logs and now you have a raft with a sail. But you could also find like an old Zonai fan and put the fan on the raft instead and then you have like an actually like powered raft 
or you could find like a rocket and put the rocket on the raft and then like zip across a lake so quickly. And when you think about the fact that like, okay, so the, the, the logs I was just talking about are things you can find on the ground, but you could also, as you mentioned, like get an axe and chop down some trees and get your own logs. And the idea that you can... Uh, using these like magic gachapon machines, get things like rockets and fans and uh, objects like that, flame emitters, hot air balloon pieces, things like that. And you can just have them in your inventory at all times means that you can really kind of build whatever you want whenever you want. And I, I think I've already seen some wild stuff on the internet because this game has been out for a couple of days, which means people have already done shit that you can't even fathom. But I think we're just scratching the surface of what's even possible here. I saw somebody, this is not even hyperbole. I saw somebody build a functioning mech in this game <laughs> that in, that like had remote controls. Each arm seemed to work independently and one of them had a gun on it and the other one had a flamethrower on it. And I don't know how you even build a gun in the first place in yeah. Tears of the Kingdom. But just having like a functioning mech with like with like legs and stuff, they they used this mech to like take out one of those like Bacoblin encampments that's like multi-tiered, where they just like walked up and they were the size of the whole encampment and just like used the flamethrower up and down the whole thing and like shot <laughs> bombs at the Bacoblin. It's like if that's what we're building on day four of the game being out, then what is it gonna look like? Again, you know, talking about Breath of the Wild still being relevant because people are still coming up with creative new ways of interacting with those systems what is this game going to look like six years from now if we're building mechs on day four yeah it's 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 kind of scary almost yeah. um uh, but I mean, so ultra hand at its most basic is like you're making like a like a glider so you can you know zip around the sky a little bit or you're making a hot air balloon to get some lift or something yeah or or you're like m maybe constructing something to to solve a puzzle or to get to new heights right the sign that you were talking about before that you need to like hold up for a guy like that is using ultra hand and a bunch of materials that you find around that yeah. sign it, it feels that the ability of the game was kind of built around the most. Yeah. Like the other abilities are all great, but it, it feels like fuse. You do a lot like kind of in the moment and they do a great thing where like, if you have your like bow drawn, you can just push a button to see all the material materials you have and just like immediately fuse them together. But ultra hand, I feel like is like, it feels like the, the central design tool for this game. Yeah. And this, this is the big thing I want to focus on, at least just in terms of the difference between not only Breath of the Wild and this, but even something like Elden Ring in this is, again, flipping those two points from discovery and creativity to creativity and discovery means that this is why Tears of the Kingdom's world feels so different than the first game, I think, um, you know, outside of the difficulty and the hostility and the narrative stuff, I think even like, you know, having the basic framework of Hyrule being mostly the same from Breath of the Wild to now, the shift in creativity taking the forefront means that the world is littered with puzzles this time in a way that it wasn't in the first game. There were some here and there, right? Like there were there were frequent times where you would like find a treasure chest in the middle of like a little lake and then you could use Magnesis to pick up like a metal thing that was at the bottom of the lake and like, okay, now it's a bridge and you can get the treasure chest, things like that. This game is that but everywhere. Like this game is using that, but the answer isn't as simple as use Magnesis to pick up a piece of metal the answer is now well the entire world is around you and you've been playing the game for enough time that you probably have enough materials on your person at any given time that you could probably solve this puzzle literally however you want the question is just how do i get to this point in the middle of this lake the answer might not even be one that the developers have come up with 
Like they, they, yeah. they just created the question. They posed the question for you and it's entirely in your camp to figure out how you're going to solve it. In a lot of cases, you can tell they have the solution in mind, but they don't make you do that. They don't make you like. Yeah, but sometimes when they when they when there's a solution in mind, quote unquote, that just means there's like a bunch of wooden planks and wheels and like sure. poles that are just out, yeah. you know, like sitting alongside the thing that you need to do. But in a lot of cases, at least for me, I'm not interacting with that stuff at all. Right. Because there's so much other stuff available or I can do something completely wild. I think like one of the one of the first examples of this that I can think of. Um, and I, w- I won't say too much. And I'm sorry that I'm spoiling this one thing. Uh, but I, I think it's a good exemplifier of, of what we're talking about here is uh, to make your way into the Rito village, which is like the, the bird people. There's a bridge that's out and it's like a huge gap. I have seen on the Internet already so many different ways of getting across this gap. One person I saw did your thing, which is chop down like 15 trees, <laughs> ultra hand them all together and then just put it over the length of where that bridge used to be. And now you have built your own bridge, essentially. What I ended up doing was I built a fire and then dropped one of the helium pine cones in it yeah. to launch myself into it because it creates this like big gust of wind. And then I launched myself into the air, which allowed me to fly over that gap. And that's that's what the, the person right by the campfire kind of hints to do that. So that's like the solution that they kind of nudge you towards. Yeah. But I was convinced and like, I want to see if there's like a reward for actually building a bridge back and then <laughs> quickly realize I'm like, this is going to take forests to, to yeah. achieve yeah. Uh, and that's when I had my toenail heel turn and <laughs> moved on with my life but you're right I mean it's like though even in shrines you know uh there's a shrine that involves like a hot air balloon type puzzle that like I guarantee the monstrosity I made was not what they had in mind yeah. but it worked I did this one shrine that involved it was essentially this like big rotating cylinder in the middle of the in the middle of the space. And there were a bunch of these uh, balls at the bottom of this basin beneath this rotating cylinder and a bunch of platforms that you could definitely ultra hand to the cylinder, essentially creating almost like a water wheel that you would use to lift the balls out of the pit. And then you just needed one of them to get it into a slot at the top of the shrine to unlock the door and then get to the exit, which was the one where I walked in. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Thanks, though. And then took all of the platforms and essentially built like a ladder for the uh, one single ball. I took one platform, put it on the ground. I took another platform, attached it with Ultra Hand vertically to the top of or to that platform, took another one and put it on top of that horizontally. So I've essentially made now like a three link tall platform. I took the ball out of the pit, put it on top of that, like ultra handed it to that and then climbed up the big tall ladder that I needed to climb up because the ball needed to go up there. I climbed up to the big tall ladder and saw that now the ball was high enough that I could ultra hand it from the top of the ladder instead of needing to go through the whole puzzle. And I just I picked <laughs> up the ball and then just dropped it right into the pit instead of interacting with the puzzle at all. And those kinds of moments were present in Breath of the Wild, but it feels like that's kind of all that's on display here. It's like every shrine has an opportunity to do something very silly like that if you want to. Yeah, and I think it shows a lot of design strength to like, or a lot of confidence in the design to have that openness still feel earned. Because I think the danger of this type of game is feeling too frivolous. Like feeling like your actions don't, like it doesn't matter what they want me to do. I can just do whatever. But like you are still so limited to certain things that it always feels like you found like a it always was like a revelation when you find the solution yeah this is bit this was my big worry about tears of the kingdom though going in was that i was going to be too overwhelmed by this because i i have found 
in games like Minecraft, for example, I I can be a little bit overwhelmed if I'm not giving myself a thing to do. Like if I if I don't, yeah. if I don't have a goal in mind and I just have the openness of Minecraft at my disposal, like I find it a little bit too much. It was one of the reasons I like Dragon Quest Builders so much is because it's like Minecraft, but with, you know, a story and like a kind of more rigid structure. And Breath of the Wild was like on on the precipice of almost being a little bit too directionless for me and tears of the kingdom saying not only are we kind of straddling that line again but now even the power set you have is all about openness and is all about creative expression and is all about what you want to do specifically i was like this might be a recipe for disaster for me um (laughs) which thankfully they overcome by in this game again you know we have creativity and we have discovery the third totem pole here is absolutely narrative like there is so much more story and plot in this game than in the first game which we'll get into in spoilers like what that is but the game has like a main quest with real locations that you should visit and story beats that play out in like a logical way the first game being so open meant that you can kind of do anything in any order and you can still do that a lot here there's still a lot of stuff you can do in kind of whatever order you want but it feels more like they're telling a more linear narrative that's like really about something yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think uh, with Breath of the Wilds, you know, the the big thing was like you go to Impa right away and then you're told there are these divine beasts. And like yeah. that might be it for like tens, if not hundreds of hours, depending on how you play. Right. Like if you don't if you don't like really decide then and there that you're going to, you know, bring the amulet to Joffrey, you might just like not <laughs> meet Prince Sidon for hours and hours and hours uh-huh. because like all you really need to do is like get that. OK, Link woke up world is in a different state he needs to do four things before fighting ganon you can also just go right to ganon i think you're right to point out that the story kind of a tighter focus than in the previous game to make up for the increased openness in other aspects yeah and there's also like i think the way they handle the tutorial is still really well done i will say it's noticeably longer so the 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 really brilliant thing about the great plateau and breath of the wild and i think it's I, I I don't know if we'll ever get a better tutorial than that, to be honest, because that is it, it is the first like handful of hours of the game, if not maybe a little shorter, depending. And it feels like you're playing the game. You would have no idea unless you were told that you were not in the full game yet. Um, you go to a bunch of shrines and you slowly get each of the Sheikah tablet powers. So you're essentially getting all the powers we've been talking about. Uh, And then once you have that, you get the hand glider and then you're hit by this revelation of like, Oh, now it's, now it's beginning. Now it's truly open. Right. This game doesn't have the same magic trick. I think it's very clear. You were in the tutorial Island in the sky and you're there for much longer. But I think it's because the game really needs you to learn these more complicated systems. Yeah. And you're going to have fun with it. You're going to have fun. Like I, it feels like a playground to just like meet all these weird robots and like put things together and try to make things. And it's, it's fairly challenging too. Like it took me a while. I got lost. Like it's, I could see this tutorial not working for a lot of people. And I understand that, but I do think it pays off to maybe have like a more direct tutorial again, to make up for the more abstract and open powers you're given. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. I, th- I think it's it's a really tough scenario for them to be in because, as we said, these powers are so abstract and they allow for so much open-endedness that to try and teach them to you seems really difficult. I will say personally that the tutorial didn't really work for me that much. I got like, yeah. I would say it took me about three hours, which is a long time. And after about 
two hours i was like really done with it like i got to the end of like the first two hours you go visit a bunch of shrines and they're like there's actually one more secret hidden shrine and that hour of like going finding that shrine doing everything that you need to do there and then leaving was like i just really want to be playing the game that having been said the first like two hours of the tutorial i was really like i'm back I'm feeling the way that I felt playing Breath of the Wild for the first time again, which is miraculous. And and there's a great interview with Ionuma uh, uh, over at The Verge about this specifically was like that was kind of their key starting point for the game was like we frequently hear that people want to erase their memory of playing Breath of the Wild and do it again. And that's what we were aiming for with this. And I was like, you mad lad you yeah. pulled it off you fucking nailed Link it forgot what apples were for a hot yeah minute. so yeah you, you did you did the magic trick again yeah. i i was like i'm back i'm feeling the same way again this is great and at a certain point i felt like i had i understood all the whole power set that they had given me but i just didn't know where to go or what to do and just really wanted to like get on the ground and then as soon as you get on the ground the game becomes yeah. incredible like it's it's unbelievable the 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 absolute whiplash i felt between like i'm getting a little bit frustrated by this to i'm having the best time of my life and i'm gonna cancel my plans is the only thing i want to do now really really wild i will say also i saw this sentiment a lot in the discord as well there are a lot of people kind of bumping up against the tutorial and even in my own house uh i was talking to percy my partner who was also playing the game and she got really really like found an area of the map that i i think you're like not even supposed to get access to until you have the hang glider and somehow like i i had tried to go down there in my own playthrough and died over and over again because you just like can't make it there without dying because you fall down and like take a bunch of fall damage and die and she had somehow (laughs) accidentally made her way down in there but there was actually no way out and it was before the point when you can fast travel so it was like I had gone through this experience on my own being like, I think this tutorial is a little frustrating. Then I watched it happen to her where she was stuck in this one area for like an hour and a half before she was like, I really need your help. And I went in my own game to that same area and was like, pretend I don't have a hang glider, pretend I can't fast travel. Like, we just need to find a way out of this area for you, which is like part fun because it's problem solving, but also partially like that should that shouldn't be there. Like there shouldn't be an area that you just like can't escape, which you know, using the power set that you have at your opportunity, which is the, the whole big thing for me is like, I kept looking for places to use Ascend because I was like, oh, there's got to be an Ascension point somewhere around here. But everything was too tall for me. OK, I, there are no materials that you can use to like build anything to get your way out of there. Point being, I have seen frustration with the tutorial and I totally get it. My yeah. my, my one thing is like, I don't I don't know. It's the price you have to pay to play one of the best games ever made. <laughs> it's like make it through the first three hours. The next hundred are going to be really good. I would wager a lot of the, the more kind of middling reviews I mentioned were probably in direct response to the tutorial and uh, yeah it's not it's not as uh it's definitely not as like subtle and i don't think it's trying to be i don't think it's trying to like pretend that it isn't what it is because you're supposed to be like link and the player are both in a strange new place kind of learning about what's going on yeah. so i think i think it works but yeah i think it's it's definitely a little messier than the great plateau's perfection was yeah one other thing while we're just while we're talking about negatives my <laughs> other my other big negative personally is that i i and bummed that a lot of characters don't remember who you are, which is weird. There are a lot that do. Like most people you run into are like, oh my God, Link, you're back. Isn't this so cool? And there are some who introduce themselves to you for the first time that I'm like, no, we have like a whole bond. I care about you a lot. What <laughs> happened here? Well, how did you forget who I am? I haven't run into that. I mean, I haven't been to as many places as you. So maybe, maybe, mm. you know, I'll find that as well. But I think it's 
without saying too much, it's very clear who remembers you in some like cutscenes. Yes. Uh, yes. So like, it's not like a total blank slate. But yeah, I could see that. Those are like my two negatives about the game. Those are like <laughs> the two things I'm like, yeah, hey, I wish this was better. Everything else, even even the difficulty, I'm finding really great. Like I I I like that the game has kind of ratcheted it up. The difficulty in a lot of cases it does make the game harder to recommend to people i think in some cases for me like yeah like my dad for example was not a huge fan of breath of the wild because he found it like too open and found that too difficult and also found the control scheme too difficult and like none of that stuff has been fixed here and in some cases has been made worse you know yeah and this obviously like there are a lot of a lot of different conversations kind of come to surface from that point you just made you know on, on one hand i think like nintendo is really behind on like modern accessibility like i i, I wish they prioritized that more yeah. but on the other hand i think just in terms of like, like separating that from the conversation like just talking about like game design and like the open world design and like being open or being more of a linear authored experience i think the fact that you know people who subjectively prefer older zeldas like may not like this game that's totally valid but i think there's also a lot of power in the game having like a vision that they go all in on you know it's like i think we're almost kind of used to games that like do a little bit of everything so there is kind of like a little bit for everyone which is great but i do think sometimes it's like you might have to risk losing part of the audience to like really bring to surface like what you envision for this game yeah like you know being something that maybe fewer people will love versus a lot of people will like really like basically yeah i think i think you're totally right i think the thing for me uh that i've been thinking about a lot is i i'm really kind of glad that they took this approach to it i'm glad that they didn't kind of go back and say how do we bring back the people who just want like a more classic zelda experience that having been said i think where the the discrepancy lies here i think i think we're like it's a little bit hard to recommend but also is easy to recommend at the same time is that there is a more focused more linear narrative if you want to chase it yeah. down right like like in the last game there is a quest log you could track all the quests they show the points on the map you can make your way to those points on the map and like experience the story if you want to in this game i think it, that's even more direct because a lot of the characters will specifically tell you what order to do things in also if you want them to like if the person who gives you the quest the first quest that's like go to these four points on the map there's interesting stuff there will also follow up if you talk to her again by saying i think you should start here though which is i think the right move i, I think that if you start to follow those instructions and just talk to everybody like you would in any old zelda game in every town like you know that's how you progress in ocarina of time for example just talking to everybody if you do that over and over again you will find the linear path through the game i think where it becomes a problem in terms of the people who didn't like breath of the wild because of its openness is actually weirdly the power set side of things and the puzzle solving side of things is actually the more open part now even though the narrative right. has become more closed down and more linear yeah the rest of the game has opened up in a new way and, and so you're kind of like taking one step forward towards helping those people out and taking another step back or maybe even two steps back in terms of alienating them even more in a completely different way that they didn't even know they could be alienated by uh which is very silly to reiterate i love all of it personally but I can I can see where people are coming from when they have those feelings about this game. And I, I get it, too. And I think the other thing is that, like, we don't even though, again, Zelda has tremendous influence, like it's not a case like where, you know, Final Fantasy 16 is coming out and is dramatically different from the rest of the series. And there's a part of me that, like, isn't really pumped about that. Like, I don't I'm not completely sold on the direction that game is going. Mm. However, the Final Fantasies that I like exist in dozens of forms currently. Right. There are games like Chained Echoes. There are games like Overwatch, Overwatch 2, <laughs> Octopath 2. <laughs> 
<laughs> whoops what i'm trying to say is like we got the Link's awakening remake last year which was lovely and what i really hope because i i also like i love i love all all the variety of zelda i think it's all great and it all has a place and i totally understand preferring one over the other what i would love to see is like a, a continuation on that style of like top-down zelda at least like we got with link between worlds and the Link's awakening remake so like that there is still like a new nintendo zelda for the people that want that more like dungeon centric design yeah or better yet we might see more indie games come out that really continue that line of design as well and do even wilder things right because famously when nintendo starts to veer away from something that is when indie developers usually pick up the slack right it's why we have things like stardew valleys because eventually harvest moon kind of faded away so i don't know that that's exciting by itself i just had this horrifying moment where i was thinking to myself like it was pretty obvious when games were taking inspiration from Breath of the Wild throughout, you know, the past six years. I think it's going to be even more obvious when games are taking the wrong inspiration points from Tears of the Kingdom this time around. <laughs> Don't you think? Because like Breath of the Wild is a game that has a lot of abstractions, right? It's like the art style, the very sparse music, the hand glider, the like kind of homey vibe of it. Like it all kind of blends together to make a thing that's like a little bit hard to point at one thing and say like, that's that's Breath of the Wild. It's kind of right. like an amalgam of a lot of things. So when games are inspired by Breath of the Wild, it's because they're taking a lot of things from Breath of the Wild. Whereas with Tears of the Kingdom, I feel like if you're taking inspiration from Tears of the Kingdom, it's like, what are you gonna put Ultra Hand in your game? Like, yeah, the new the new Glover where you're sticky is kind of a weird, <laughs> weird direction for the. Sequel. They brought Jack and Daxter back, but he has the ascendability. <laughs> The funny thing, too, is like, you know, everyone on Twitter is like listing all the like mid aughts games that are all about like one of these mechanics. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I know you mean. And I think that's the thing about Tears of the Kingdom is it feels if I had to kind of boil it down even simpler, you know, to say, like, what is the difference between this and Breath of the Wild? Breath of the Wild was a wildly new direction for the series. This feels almost like a a even more Zelda experience. I think so too. Like I feel like yeah. while while it is dramatically different from the older style, it seems to be embracing all of Zelda in like a very celebratory way. Yeah. I mean, down to like Link humming old songs while he's cooking. Yes! I love that shit. Which I love. And a, a lot of the names of things, there's like a whole yeah. we'll get we're now veering into what we'll be talking about in the next part, but there are a lot of name drops. You're like, whoa, okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, And there are a lot of like names of places that like imply sort of a, a, a giant mashup of Zelda lore Mm -hmm. in a really interesting way. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love this game, as you can tell, and I hope I'm not sounding too dismissive of people who don't like I, I get it truly. Um, but I think if you at all enjoyed Breath of the Wild, I think, you know, and you're a big Zelda. You're fan, already playing it. You already have. Yeah, it. you already have. It. You're just you're just listening to this while you're playing. <laughs> <laughs> I I love the moments on the switch when like everyone's online yeah. and everyone is playing the same game. Like, I don't really think I've seen this since like maybe Pokemon. I was going to say, like, the only times it's really happened is like yeah. Pokemon games, Animal Crossing and maybe that's it actually yeah so it's it's just like a very you know this is not the last time we'll be talking about this game we are at the very tip of the iceberg with this experience too like i i feel like as soon as i feel kind of comfortable letting my guard down with this game they throw something else at me that completely rewires my brain yeah um can i so, just uh, just to double down on something narrative related before we talk about what the actual narrative is i will just yeah, sure. say that th- my experience with breath of the wild 
involved me almost ignoring the narrative whole cloth with the exception of the divine beast like i went into the divine beasts because i thought that that stuff was interesting um but ended up as we have discussed many times on the show like not finishing the game like i didn't roll credits on it i ended up watching it later on youtube i I found a different ending for the game which i will talk about in the next section but I, i found a different ending for the game that worked for me and then spent my the majority of my time after rolling credits like going around and doing other stuff that was not narrative related or story related at all this game speaking of the focus on narrative all i want to do is progress the story like i i am so compelled to see what's going on in the story and and because of the nature of the way breath of the wild worked and the way tears of the kingdom works by extension i'm just getting sidetracked on my way to doing that so i really haven't yeah. seen that much of it but i feel more of a compulsion to actually finish this game and roll credits the way god intended than ever before which i think yeah. says a lot for the people who do want a more linear Zelda experience like that is here and not only is it here but it's like a really good one of those also yeah totally I mean I think for Breath of the Wild I loved the hidden memories and I did like right. I think if you watch the memories and you get to the finale it is great but I think the unanimous almost unanimous opinion on Breath of the Wild is that the the divine beasts were kind of lacking yeah and the finale itself was almost kind of anticlimactic because if you've played the game at all by the time you get to Ganon you're gonna be like you're gonna destroy yes. them instantly yeah. which kind of diffuses the tension a little bit right. I am like very scared for what this game has prepared for I know me at the end. I know me too uh and I, I think you're right to point out that like whereas Breath of the Wild you were kind of finding the fun and and you know, following your heart and your and your curiosity. This game is like you're following the story and getting caught up along the way. Yeah, that's like the perfect distinction. I yeah, think. yeah, exactly. Well, we've been talking for a long time already. We should take a break. Yeah, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about spoilers. I I will say again, spoilers from here on out. But also, the first thing I'm gonna say is a thing that I think is maybe important if you're like on the fence about buying the game in terms of like what the game actually is. So I, I'll just I'll just seed that. And then we'll have like a really hard spoiler bit after that. But uh, yeah. All right. Let's take a break. See you soon. Hello. Welcome back. Hey. Uh, reminder, we're about to start talking about spoilers yeah. for The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. But as I alluded to at the end of the last segment, I want to just start off with, I think, two pretty important things about this game um, that may or may not change your like purchasing decision if you still haven't bought this game and you're like, don't care at all about spoilers and you're just like jumping in um what i'll say about this game uh right at the top of this spoiler section is that there are dungeons again they brought dungeons back and the title of the game has essentially a triple meaning tears being like physical objects that you collect which we'll talk about as a story thing tears as in like tears actually like holes opening up in the kingdom uh and tears t-i-e-r-s specifically being three different tiers of the game there is hyrule which is the area that you explored in breath of the wild there is the sky islands which you've seen in a lot of the marketing and there's another section of this game that is gigantic that has not been messaged at all i think which is supposed to be a little bit of like a holy shit discovery i think it's so out there already that if you're hearing this you've probably already seen that somewhere on the internet but like in Skyrim, I'll say there is an entire section called the depths, which is the entire area of Hyrule, but underground. There's like a whole almost like pitch black derelict society that exists under Hyrule that you can explore to your heart's content. 
um, by by restoring light to that area. This um, was so hard to not talk about. Yeah. For the last 90 minutes. For I can't real. believe we did it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just think it's one of those things where as much as I appreciate you know, the idea of wanting to go in spoiler free as much as I appreciate Nintendo wanting to market this, not like giving away a whole lot of what's going on in the game. I do think for me, at least when we get into the $70 price range, like once once yeah. honestly for me, it's like over $50. Like once we got into the $60 price range, I start to want to know like it's as if I'm I'm doing research for like a new expensive totally. piece of tech in my life. You know, like when I'm looking to buy I, don't, I have a lot of cameras. If I'm looking to buy a camera, for example, I'm doing so much research about that camera before I'm buying it because I want to know what I'm buying. And as much as there is this inkling, I think in games specifically, to go in knowing as little as possible, I feel like once you get into the like, this might be the only game you buy all year territory, it's kind of yeah. helpful to know that not only is there Hyrule and the Sky stuff, but a whole third area that is the same size as Hyrule that will take, I think, even longer to explore than Hyrule itself because of how difficult it is to make your way through there. Yeah, I, the depths are actually interesting because I feel like the the very first trailer we got, which wasn't even really a trailer, it was just that cutscene yes. of Link and Zelda in the cave, which is actually right at the very beginning of the game. Yeah. And they meet dehydrated Ganon and the adventure begins. Mm -hmm. So like because that was the only piece the only thing we knew for like what a year yeah uh my first thought and i imagine a lot of people's first thought was like this is going to be like a a darker you know majora's mask spin on yeah. breath of the wild and also be all about spelunking and yeah. caves this is which yeah. like you and i was, have talked about this true. yeah you and i have talked about this over the years specifically and around when that trailer came out i i recall if, if i'm not mistaken because you and I have, have talked a lot about Zelda games over the years on this show. And one of the things that we kind of equate to being a an important staple of Zelda games is the idea of dual worlds, is the idea of like a second space that you can explore, um, right. you know, in some way, shape or form. I think, you know, it, they've gotten a little bit abstract or very literal with that. Right. Like, obviously, A Link to the Past has the actual second world that you can go to. But uh, even like Ocarina growing up to be adult Link is sort of that duality. It's a, oh. right. Wind Waker, you're on land and you're on sea. Um, you know, Twilight Princess has the Twilight Realm, things like that. Like they, they've gotten, you know, very literal and also a little bit more abstract with that. Um, but this game has that in spades. This game has two, two other ones. It's just it's like yeah. you get high rule and you get, you get two other high rules to explore. I, if it kind of feels like Majora, in retrospect, it feels like Majora's Mask is like as if that's the other world, but you're stuck there. Like you yeah. only get you only get the weird place. Yeah, maybe the, the masks though are kind of that. Like I am now Goron Link. I'm now Zora Link. Yeah, kind of looking thing. through the eyes of somebody else. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, sorry um, to, to to finish that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When sorry. that trailer first came out, that was that was what we thought. We were like, oh, you're gonna hang right. out in in caves underneath hyrule or something and like maybe that's how they add the duality to breath of the wild like a thing that was kind of missing from breath of the wild i think right um, and then we got skyward sword hd and then there was all this marketing about like being in the sky and right. sky island and uh then ever i kind of forgot about the caves and then the reality is both is true you get both right. <laughs> i just remember i saw i saw in uh some of the preview coverage of this game some of the hands-on preview coverage there were some people that were like I saw a cave in the in the overworld and the Nintendo rep told me I can't go in there. 
And in some cases, I also saw some people tweeting out who were at that hands-on thing that were like, Nintendo told me I can't even talk about having seen a cave, but that's that's a step too far for me. So so I think in that case, it was very much like, I think people were starting to realize that the depths existed, but we weren't totally sure. And it wasn't really until the game leaked, I think, that, yeah. that the idea of the depths like really became something that people started to figure out. But I, just, I wanted to get those two things out of the way. I think the depths is an important thing to know about before the game starts. And I also think for the people that we were alluding to in the last segment who are like wanting a more linear kind of Zelda experience, knowing that divine beasts are out, dungeons are in is maybe enough for some people to make a purchasing decision i so you, I, I you might be a bit farther than me but in the main plot i followed the heavy-handed advice to go to the rito village first yeah from every npc i met including the incredible uh newspaper writer who says uh yeah. soria later or something pen yeah uh pen is incredible yeah that story leads to the first temple which is the wind temple just getting there is like yeah jaw dropping that's the thing this game does really well and, and that is actually like something they did well with the divine beasts was like the, even though those like the divine beasts as dungeons were not especially exciting kind of felt samey after a while yeah they all felt like the first time you do one is really exciting like the act of getting there and like uh climbing these like colossal mechanical beasts like, that was really exciting so I feel like they they took this sort of spectacle of a divine beast but attached it to the tried and true zelda dungeon mm-hmm. which is like best of both worlds yeah yeah you, re- um, you really get everything you wanted you get your chocolate and your peanut butter it's, yeah. it's so good yeah i i did um I, I did a really long stream yesterday at the time of this recording where i essentially did the entire ascension from like going to the rito village talking to people through the the way to that temple and then like through the end of that temple uh which was a great stream it was really fun to like get all of that captured there were a couple things i really wanted to do before we sat down to record today one of them was like i need to do at least one of the dungeons knowing that they're in the game i want to explore the depths enough to like have a better idea of what's going on there um and then i also wanted to uh do some other stuff which i'll talk about later but anyway i let me just say that's the stuff i wanted to allude to i guess at the beginning of the spoiler section here's your like real hard out for us to start talking about stuff like in a real way like we're really going to talk about things that you and i have experienced now i think very similar to our elden ring episode it'll just be like a smattering of like what we've experienced here and there as like a way of having a discussion um yeah i mean again it's only been a couple days since the game came out so you and i really haven't seen that much we've only scratched the surface of what's going on here totally um but yeah if you are leaving now thank you so much for listening we appreciate you and i want i actually want to talk a little bit more about the depths the like that triple layer of a world yeah, for a second totally um i think it's not subtle that there's sort of the connection to the triforce there like a lot of mm. the shrines have blue and green which kind of symbolize to me zelda and link um it feels like the the distinct energy of the sky like the sky at least currently feels the least threatening place like mm. the 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 visuals of like, like they're usually very pretty areas like the tutorial area at least is like full of these really colorful like yellow trees um yeah. and most of my experience in the sky has been friendly robots being like you want to do some like fun little mini games yeah uh like and it's all it puzzles feels... and hanging out up there yeah and also like because you're high up you can kind of like you know, actually get a bird's eye view of the world and sort of like make the best plan going forward. I think um, technically this game is a marvel in that respect. Like, I can't believe that the Switch 
is able to pull this off visually. Yeah. Like standing yeah. on top of an island in the Sky Islands and looking down and being able to actually see like, oh, there's a stable right there is ama- like the fact that the draw distance is that great. Yeah. I can't believe it's it's just one of those things where like Breath of the Wild was built for the Wii U and then the Switch. And this game is just built for the Switch. So you have like at the end of a console's life cycle, the company that made that console saying we're going to make the best game on that console. You know, yeah. it's it's like kind of the dream. It's it's uh, not too dissimilar from Shadow of the Colossus on the PS2, where like right. that was like the last game on the PS2 is a technical marvel. Even to this day, like that version of the game looks beautiful. Feels I like have that. had I have had a handful of performance stuff, but nothing really uh, that I wouldn't bring up otherwise. Like I, I know there's some conversations about the frame rate stuff, but again, like I, I I only really notice it if it's like an active like in Pokemon Scarlet. I was like, yeah something's up here yeah uh but in this game other than when you like first transition to a power yeah i haven't really experienced any, sometimes like, i'll have performance issues i'm like that's on me i put like <laughs> i put so many rockets together on top of this log like this is my fault i i get it um but anyway going back to the so like the sky feels kind of like um it feels very safe and it feels very like uh yeah it's like where you go to get rewards almost yeah um, that's true Hyrule, you know, mo- most of the game is on Hyrule. And what's really, I think you kind of alluded to this in our first section, but a lot of the places have changed, which also reminds me a lot of Majora's Mask because Majora's Mask whole thing is like there's clock town in the middle. And then there are like four distinct areas right around the town. There's where the Deku live, the Gorons, the Zoras and the Gerudo. I've learned my mistake from our Ocarina episode. Is it Gerudo and not Gerudo? It's many many no okay to be clear usually i don't get any angry messages but more than a few people were like it's gerudo the minute we released that episode really so i might now get the gerudo heads coming at me but i'm just gonna try this out and see what happens as somebody who says jiff uh i i, I will not <laughs> i will not comply with people i, I dominating think, the way i say the letter g yeah i think i mean there wasn't really any direct pronunciation of it until breath of the wild i believe so oh do they do they say gerudo in breath of the wild i think that's i think that's where the evidence oh uh, now i'm fucked okay well <laughs> gerudo it is gerudo yeah anyway there's there's those four areas and they're all like visibly incorrect like yes. the swamp is poison uh the mountain is frozen um they all are like not how they normally would be uh and i feel like similar here like when you go to rito village for the first time it's like it's really sad it's covered in snow yeah uh which is you know not how it used to be and noticeably when you first get there only kids are around um and like there's there there is the bubbling of a ragnarok type event in this game like yeah. Uh, a lot of the NPCs are like, it kind of feels like it's the end of the world. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. uh-huh. This is actually, um, it's a, a good point to bring up, uh, uh, to give another shout out to Persia. One of the first things she mentioned uh, a couple hours into the game was like, Breath of the Wild was so much about people making it through the apocalypse having happened already and was like finding community in a, in a space that seemed hopeless. But like, I think that goes back to what you were talking a lot about in terms of the vibe of Breath of the Wild being like, more zen more like chill like more like a world that was kind of happier to see you there and like you could go solve the big problem when you wanted to but for the most part like people were getting by which was pretty cool um and her whole thing was like the first game was about you know the apocalypse has happened the worst of it is over and you could just like create a society for yourself and this game is like 
oh no, the apocalypse is really happening again. Like we lived through it once. Now it's happening a second time actively right now. Uh, and that is present in every conversation you have. And I think the Rito village is a great, is a great, uh, yeah. magnifying glass to look at that through. Even just seeing that it's like predominantly just the children is this like visual signifier of like the next generation having to inherit the problems of the past, you yeah, know? Totally. I mean, the kids are all like, there's something especially heartbreaking about seeing kids like kind of oblivious to danger or like mm. making light of it being like, Oh, we can make a difference. And it's like, maybe, but like not without a lot of help. Right. And again, that kind of goes back to what I was talking about before with like, there is a uh, focus on like cooperation more in this game to the point where another kind of big spoiler mechanic, you have party members now Yeah. in the lead up to the wind temple. You're joined by a character from the first breath of the wild. What, what is their name again? Tulin. I just forgot. Tulin. You're joined by Tulin who was in the first or the last Zelda game, breath of the wilds. Uh, and they were like a really little kid, like a Rito. So they were like a hatchling. Yeah. And their dad is like the coolest person ever and is now the head of the village. Because I think in the last game, there was like an old owl mm-hmm. who was the head. And now it's uh, Tulin's father. And Tulin is like very ambitious, like still too young to like really be in a position of serious responsibility. But like nobody doubts their ability. Right. And their big thing is that they can create gusts of wind that are like more powerful than the wind itself. So they can kind of tear through the natural direction of things, which, you know, feels very part of the course with this game. Yeah. Um, so basically Tulin joins you on your way to what is the wind temple and they, you know, aid you in combat. They're controlled by an AI. That was the thing I couldn't believe was that they yeah. aid you. And I thought it was just going to be like, Oh yeah, Tulin's here. I can do the gust of wind thing. The, the, sorry. Mechanically, the way that works is like, when you're in the air or if you're like on a platform or something, you can be like, hey, Tulin, blow a gust of wind here. And it's essentially like a wind tunnel that if you jump in and like use your glider, you'll just you know, go straight in that direction, yeah, fly yeah. in that direction, which they use it's to awesome. great effect in puzzle solving on your way to the wind temple. But the it combat almost feels stuff like... is wild because he has the bow and just consistently crits every enemy. Like he hits every <laughs> enemy directly in between the eyes and it fucking rules. <laughs> It's a really clever way because I think the in the design of of older Zelda games, there's usually like a a singular item that a whole temple is built around, um, and in this case, it kind of feels like the dungeon is built around what I imagine will be like a party member in each different zone. Yeah, that seems to you be know, like Tulin is like the the mechanic you're relying on, uh, and you know, a mixture of other things. Like he uses send a lot in that area mm-hmm. too. Um, but I, I was really blown away by that. And, and it kind of feels like it's something that Zelda has always kind of messed around with. Like there are a couple games where you have a friend like Ocarina, you have Princess Rito uh, join you or excuse me, Princess Ruto uh, join you in Jabu Jabu's belly. But she's like more of like a box than anything. She just, yeah, you just sort she's of carry a, she's her a way around for you to press buttons to weigh down switches. Right. Yeah. Um, but in Wind Waker, there's more of a direct like cooperative buddy system oh. and in some of the ds ones too so it's always been something that i like was in uh, i was curious if it would ever come back i did not expect it to in this like fully formed way yeah um it's kind of amazing how well it works given it's basically like a brand new mechanic for the series yeah have you finished the wind temple yet i got to the wind temple and realized that i might need to like level up a little bit because i only have like five hearts mm. Uh, and everything is one shotting me. So I'm like, let me ah. let me go back and explore a bit. Um, but that's kind of what I enjoy about 
the sky hyrule and the depths whereas the depths are like the highest risk but high reward part of the game like you get a lot of materials that you can use to get cool stuff in the sky so like i feel like i'm always like when i reach a point like at the end of the temple I'm like i should maybe do a bit of exploring on land or maybe go back to the depths and the depths for me too like the the entrance to the to that area are these glowing red like pits in the ground and I'm like, this is definitely tied to Ganondorf in some way, or at least representative of like, you know, power, wisdom and courage. Right. Um, and to kind of briefly describe how the depths work is you go down there and it's a very like it, it does remind me a lot of the place where the uh, Falmer are from in Skyrim. Like it has like big mushrooms, sort of it feels the most like fantasy yeah. of all the locations, but it's pitch dark and you have to find these um flower seeds that if you throw them it will plant a flower that lights up a bit of the area such a cool thing um and there's also like a bunch of equipment you can make that like you can make food that makes you glow and like glowing is like yeah. a, a thing you can kind of build around um but you find a lot of those seeds like i have like 70 of them so i feel yeah, like so i'm many. usually pretty prepared and then there are like kind of reverse towers where there are these like big plants you can find that will light up an area and kind of act as a fast travel point in the depths. Um, but like I, I, I reached the, the, I got to the beginning of the wind temple and I'm like, I'm so still so intrigued and, and, and so early on in the other areas, I kind of want to get a bit more of that before I finish this part of it. Mm. Um, the, the only thing that I'll mention, which is not going to come as a surprise to you, uh, is that when you're done with that temple, you get the like gust ability, like for yourself. Uh, go, oh, going wow. forward which is one of the reasons that i'm like i just need to go to all the temples i don't know i, don't, <laughs> I assume that the the four spots on the map each of them represents yeah. a temple in each of those places i think there might be more temples than that i think there are more dungeons than just those four if i was to guess um without saying too much i think i might have found one in the depths but i'm not totally oh, sure cool. Uh, I like I I don't I don't know because the depths are so bizarre that like I found a place and it said it was a temple but it, like it didn't seem like one but I think it still might be one anyway that having been said it's like one of the reasons I'm like oh I really want to go find out what other abilities I get at all of the other dungeons now like I want to see what's going on story wise because the story stuff is great like I can't wait for you to finish that temple so you can see the story stuff that happens there because it 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 gets into some stuff that I was kind of hoping this game would go towards. And it, and uh, I'm, I'm just very, I'm very happy it, it does. Uh, but on top of that, the reward being like, oh yeah, now traversal everywhere else is going to be easier. Really makes me want to go around it. They had the same thing in breath of the wild, but um, with the Rivali's Gale. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. But I just, I just want to see how they've interpreted that in four new ways for this game. Uh, that That's, that's very exciting to me. Yeah. It, it kind of, cause I feel like, um, it's interesting that the power, the traversal power from the retail this time is to go like forward in one direction. Cause uh, up because is going so easy. It, it, what? Yeah. Uh, Cause going up is so easy in this game by comparison right, with the send. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, one other, so I guess to kind of briefly touch on, on the framing device of the story, uh, the game begins with link and Zelda in the cave. They meet dehydrate again. And it's um, a very and, like, naughty dog cutscene. by yeah, the way it feels <laughs> it feels like uh yeah it feels like a naughty dog it feels very uncharted yeah where it's like you're walking and talking with zelda and then like it stops and you get a little cutscene. it's honestly great like i loved it yeah it was so good what's really fascinating is like again kind of marking the differences between this and and the previous game you know and in, in, in breath of the wild you wake up in this like kind of 
almost religious, you know, setting and, and open the door to this bright, it's the very much like, um, the beginning of, of an Elder Scrolls game or, or fallout where you like open the big door and you're hit with the big world. Right. Uh, in this game, you're just going down, like you're going deeper and deeper and it's getting more and more ominous. And, Zel- and Zelda is like just so pumped to like learn more about what's going on. Yeah. So the, the she's big like a reveal, big, she's a big history dweeb. She's like, she yeah. loves this shit. Yeah. It's so fun. Uh, there, there's a mention of the Zonai, which I basically the hieroglyphic, the hieroglyphics and cave markings you find implied that the Zonai may be sort of the stand in for the gods and goddesses that like Hyrule history mentions, Yes, which is like, it, it's sort of like the moment you find the, the Protheans in Mass Effect. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, there's this like what we understand as our own reality now just like doubles right in terms it's of what like everyone on context. ancient aliens on the history channel <laughs> is is like almost saying yeah it's like, exactly <laughs> zelda's like my my personal conspiracy conspiracy theory of choice is true yes based on this yes cave. exactly um you go deeper down and uh-oh it's dehydrated ganon and uh there's a bit of like a uh metroid loss of power where like he grabs link and you see because the game begins and link has like 20 hearts yeah and then when you get attacked by ganon and the gloom enters your body uh your hearts diminish and also like the master sword just gets destroyed which is like a pretty that's a really bold move to start your game with the master sword is such a symbol in the series and is this like basically like the Superman cape for Link. Yeah. And to see it just like be powerless and to be rendered into this like broken object uh, really kind of sets the stage pretty dramatically. Yeah. Um, and Link's arm gets but, uh, like rotted out essentially in the process. Yeah. It reminds me, I mean, I imagine this is a direct nod, but it reminds me of in Princess Mononoke when yeah. Ashitaka kills the boar demon and all of the boar's hatred enters his arm. Yeah. Uh, which is like the inciting event of that story. Um, and in this case, it's like kind of similar. Like Link has this, this like evil power within his arm that is then contained by this seemingly benign, like other arm that saves him. And then Link and Zelda are separated. Um, so basically, the, the inciting event is like Ganon's back. Not not a huge surprise. <laughs> and Link and Zelda are separated, and you wake up like a li- like time has passed. Not like a dramatic amount of time, but like. I don't know, maybe like a couple of years. I wasn't clear like how much time it's been. I think they said five like, years. Okay. okay, so it's like it's like a mini time jump. Like you're, you've been, you've been gone long enough that people are like shocked it's you. Yeah. Um, but you wake up and you meet uh, a character named Raru who is a Zonai or an image of a Zonai, uh, and that's the name of the first king of Hyrule, and that's the beginning of the tutorial island. So basically, not to go through every beat, but it begins with sort of this like. The the inciting event is like figure out where Zelda is and like if she's okay and what she's up to. Yeah. Whereas I think Breath of the Wild had a very simple framing device of like, you know, we tried to save the world, it failed. Now you can try again, and here's what you have to do to fight Ganon. This inciting event is much more of like a big mystery, which I think is why I'm more incentivized to see more of it. Because mm. I have way more questions, you know, and I I have way more of an interest in these characters because we've spent a whole game with most of them. Um, so, uh, and there seemingly is like this, you know, uh, there was this event where 
Hyrule Castle was lifted into the sky and things keep falling from the sky. So like it isn't clear like to anybody what is happening, but everyone is very concerned. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. that's kind of the framing device of the journey so far, at least. Yeah. Uh, I will say after uh, after the tutorial, the like last cutscene that plays in the tutorial made it pretty clear to me. And, and may, maybe this is wrong. I don't think it is. But it made it pretty clear to me that Zelda is in Hyrule, but in a different time somehow. Like it, yeah, you, you got it. Yeah, yeah I, it's it seems to me like Zelda is just like the the reason it's so hard to find her is because she's not in it. She's in the same place, but not in the same time. People are thinking people are thinking linearly, I, I would say, about time in terms of trying to find her, um, which is interesting, which raises a lot of questions about like, does that mean that we're also going to get the ability to time travel later in the game? And is that going to be a whole other avenue of this game that we don't even know about? Like we had the sky, Hyrule and the depths and also the past versions of all three of those. So can I share with you my experience getting the dragon's tears? Yes. Uh, please tell me about might, this. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit right before we started recording and it turns out there's a whole piece of this game's narrative that I just have not seen yet. Yeah. So actually a recommendation, if you're listening to this and you haven't played yet, uh, thanks for sticking with us and sorry for spoiling, <laughs> but also I would recommend like the minute you're done with the tutorial, the game kind of lets you go, but they kind of said like, go talk to, pura in this town yeah do that because you'll get the hand glider right and i feel like that's gonna be tough without Deeply even though important. you have ultra hand one of the most uh so like once you get to the starting town west of the town you see this like big crop circle hieroglyphic in in the grass it's like almost like white chalky outline of like a big hieroglyphic of a zoni and impa is there trying to make sense of it um, and basically you hop in a hot air balloon with Impa and like look at it from from high above to like make sense of of where it is. And she's like, I think there's there should be a dragon's tear here and this image should be telling us where it is. It might be within the image itself. Mm. So you have to basically like look at it from afar and, and try to guess where the tear is. Once you find it, it's this like kind of pool of liquid. And what these are are pretty much like the memories in Breath of the Wild. Oh, cool. Um, so once you get a dragon tier, you get one of many secret scenes that show what Zelda is up to. Oh, nice. So if you don't mind me, if you don't mind me sharing the first yeah, one, please do. Yeah. Uh, the first one is Zelda like waking up immediately after the separation mm. and she meets Raru and another character like in person. Oh, and they're like, hey, are you OK? Like, who are you? And she's like, I'm Princess Zelda. Who yeah. are you? And they're like, that's a weird answer. We're the king and queen of Hyrule. Uh -huh. uh, we've never heard of you. So like it's basically her waking up in the past, which directly proves Tight. your yeah. your. It's actually really impressive. I didn't even think that it was possible until I watched that scene. So I've seen that scene uh, that kind of directly states that Zelda is like disconnected in time, mm -hmm. um, which then raises a lot of questions about like the shrines and all these statues of these characters we're seeing. Like, is this a Terminator time travel rules where like Zelda was fated to go back to this era to help the Zonai do X? Yeah, um, definitely. Or are we rewriting history? I, I just got another dragon tier, which shows our guy Ganondorf trying to attack a settlement with a parade of Maldugas. Uh, wow. And then Raru just like blasts them with a giant laser and Ganondorf's like, okay, so brute force doesn't work. Got it. <laughs> noted. Uh, and Zelda's there like worried. That's like one of the later ones. So I'm like, I loved the memories mm -hmm. um, and the memories and Breath of the Wild really tell Zelda's story as well. Like it's all about like 
what she did before and it makes the finale even richer kind of seeing her on the other side of that journey um these memories though are like you know it really it, it's like almost 13 sentinels level like what <laughs> like, yeah just it completely reframes the story of the game so I'm, I'm like really i might even do this first like i might even just look for these you can tell where they are because if you ever see like a big glowing golden light at night that's one of them interesting um okay so uh it can sometimes be confusing because you might they kind of blend in with like if you put pins in the map they look somewhat similar mm. but if it's a kind of a scattered golden ray it's one of the dragon tears okay i'm gonna look out for this uh what i what i did at the beginning of the game was landed at, on the ground after the tutorial island got the hand glider all that stuff um immediately what happens after that is Pura is like, Hey, there's a cool little bunker here that you can like check out this place. What's it called? Lookout landing. It's called. Yeah. Um, and in lookout landing, there's a little bunker that you can go into that has like a bed you can sleep in. It has like a pot that you can cook stuff at. Um, there's like a guy like trying to fix weapons and he has like a bunch of like free weapons. If you just want to like get a bunch and just fill up your inventory before you head out for the first time. But there's also a guy who like studies the map of Hyrule and knows everything about the map of Hyrule. And the first thing that he mentions is like, here are all the cities. Here are all of the people and all of oh, the cities. Oh, cool! And he and he tells you where all the cities are and who lives there and like kind of a little bit about what's going on at each of them, um, and just kind of went down the list. I I will just say I've mentioned this a lot, but like for Breath of the Wild, I think the the thing that I was most attached to, the thing that I I really really feel is like the heart of that game for me, was the thing that I was mentioning before about society finding it within themselves to move on after calamity right like calamity literally calamity again and strikes in that yeah. game uh the apocalypse happens but when you show up a hundred years after that people have kind of like made their way people are you know helping each other out there's like this sense of community being able to overcome all obstacles that i think is really beautiful about that game um and the way i finish that game for myself and i think this is one of the things that makes me think that it's one of the main cruxes of what breath of the wild is trying to do is that there's a side quest called Tarrytown that allows you to like go and build this little village this little town and the town is comprised of people from all over hyrule so it's not like the zoro live in one space the gerudo live in another space <laughs> the rito live in one space the helians live wherever like it's not it's it's this kind of like melting pot of a town that you get to build yourself. Like you get to go through this entire quest line and, and build a space that almost feels like utopic, like not quite utopic, but almost like has this air about it. That's like, everything else is cool. You go to like Hatana village and Kakariko and like all of these places are really beautiful and really cool. But Tarrytown is something new. Like Tarrytown is something like we're forging a path forward we're taking the first step towards something better there's a wedding that happens um as soon as that happened i was like i'm done that's it for me like <laughs> I, i'm done with the game that actually is the end like this is the this is the theme that i personally felt the most like emotional attachment to i'm talking to this guy in the bunker and he's going through all the towns and he mentions the Tarrytown is like up in one of the corners of the map and i was like oh my it didn't even occur to me that Tarrytown would still exist because in my yeah. mind the way i'm thinking about this is like the things you did in Breath of the Wild don't carry over except for your horses. Like I, I it didn't it didn't occur to me that Tarrytown would exist because that's a thing that I did personally. I, I exerted right. my will over this, but that doesn't mean that it's canon that Tarrytown would be there. It wasn't even a, a thought that had crossed my mind. 
So the first thing I did was I set out to go do Tarrytown. Steven, I cried so hard <laughs> just like seeing it. But then going in there, the quest line that happens in Tarrytown feels to me like like an epilogue to Breath of the Wild in like the most beautiful cool. way possible. Like I, I it, it's a little bit of a bummer that I think I like opened the game with maybe the highest high I'll have. <laughs> but I think that's not giving this game enough credit because I think there are going to be a lot of moments like that. Sure. But the, the stuff that happens in Tarrytown is so beautiful and it feels like everything that I had thought was true about Breath of the Wild gets like double and triple confirmed via Tarrytown and Tears of the Kingdom. Like everything that I was hoping for in terms of the resolution of that plot line gets resolved in Tarrytown. And the way it ends is so beautiful. I don't want to say too much about it because I think everyone should experience it for themselves. But like the way that that story wraps up is so beautiful. Um, and that was such a great way to start this adventure, you know, like going, doing literally the first thing so I could get a hang glider so I could make it to Tarrytown. But <laughs> then immediately being like, I don't give a shit. I'm not, I'm not unlocking shrines. I'm not going and like climbing a bunch of towers. I'm not like unlocking the map. I'm not going to dungeons. I'm not visiting anyone except for the people that I care about the most and going and like seeing not only are they all right, but they're like thriving was really, really, really special. Um, everything after that has been incredible, but that in particular was like really yeah. a high for me. I, I think there's a lot this game does well just as a sequel too, right? Cause I think mm -hmm. like that is, that is kind of what stands out about it. Like we said earlier where there aren't many direct Zelda sequels and when they're like, you know, nothing carries over from Ocarina. That's the whole point right. is the days reset and you lose everything. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, I think that this game kind of like even without unlocking the map, I kind of know where places are Yeah, and the, the emotional payoff of like going out of your way to see a place and like, see how a character is doing. Yeah. You know, like I saw someone tweet that like Paya is killing it. And I'm like, that is so great to hear. Yeah. I feel like I wanted her to believe in herself for all of the last game. Yeah. Uh, Actually, it's the almost kind of Persia did, which I, you know? it didn't even occur to me. Also, the first thing Persia did was go back to the great plateau to see what it looked like. Oh, yeah, which I hear there's a lot of cool stuff there if you go back. Yeah, um, it's like completely in disarray. It's like gotten completely <laughs> brutalized. Um, and the enemies there are really difficult. But it's just like, oh, yeah, if I could just go visit these places again. And that's kind of the thing I was talking about earlier about about the tutorial area in this game being like, oh, yeah, I'm back. This is cool. But there's no greater feeling of being like, oh, I'm back than when you actually go like to Kakarika Village and see what's up there or go to Tarrytown and see what's up there. The fact that all these places are still there and have so much story left to tell in them is so cool to me it reminds me so much of what they did with pokemon black and white and black and white 2 which is like not a game i love particularly but i appreciate like the risk that they took of saying we're going to use yeah. the same map and we're going to change the world slightly to make everything feel fresh even though it's kind of like reusing a lot of the a lot of that world because if a world is well built you can tell a lot of stories there this is the thing we talked about a lot last week about jedi survivor I think the, the the strength of Star Wars is that you can tell any kind of story there and you can rehash a lot of the same ground, but do it in ways that make it seem fresh every time. And that's absolutely what's going on here. And I think that that's so fucking cool. I, it, like they, they completely nail just that aspect of this game, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it also feels like a little bit. It's kind of funny to compare, but it feels a little bit like Yakuza where it's like, yeah, this is a place we've been before and you're literally going deeper rather than just trying to make a bigger world. Yes. I mean, I know this game is bigger, but like it's bigger because it's denser. Yeah. Um, and I feel the, I feel bad ahead, about sorry. giving this bit away, but I'm, I'm going to, I, sure. I, 
one of the uh, second places I went to because I was very interested in uh, getting new clothes for myself because I, I, I like wanted to get out of the like, what do they call the archaic armor set that you get at the <laughs> beginning of the game? Uh, I was like, I need something new. Um, and that guy who tells you about all the cities mentions that Hateno Village has like a big kind of like f- sprawling fashion upstart that's happening there. I was like, oh, I got to know what's going on there. So I went down to Hateno Village as soon as I was on the Tarrytown. I really like I opened this game just by like checking up on everybody just to see how everyone yeah. was doing. Because, again, that's the most compelling thing about Breath of the Wild to me. So I wanted to revisit that here. Um, so I go to Hateno Village and one of the first things I notice is there's a school there now. Um, and the school is being taught by, uh, one of the Sheikah, which is very cool. Not, th- is it the Sheikah? Uh, what, what is Impa's whole crew? Yeah, they're, they're the Sheikah. They're the Sheikah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the school is being taught by one of the Sheikah from the first game and he's now like a teacher teaching kids about the history of Hyrule and stuff. But specifically he mentions like Zelda built this Zelda built this school because she, again, big history dweeb. She's like. I really like I just really want to like teach everyone in Hyrule who's coming up about like the follies of the past and like how to avoid that kind of stuff in the future because a lot you know this just feels like everything in history always but you know people grow up they forget about their history and then they make the same mistakes again and she's like I want to avoid that as much as possible and I find it really important to teach this history to the kids which I think is amazing um so wandering around Hatano village you know there's like a bunch of side quests you can pick up i think the side quest in Hatano village is fucking incredible and i you're gonna lose your mind doing it i think um (laughs) but i'm just like wandering around Hatano village and i was like oh my god i built a house here in the first game like one of the side quests in the first game is it's like how you start the tarrytown stuff is you employ this uh this like construction team to build a house for you and when when they build a house for you they're like wow we should do this like a lot and then they go build tarrytown um but you build a house in the first game. I was like, I wonder if my house is still there. If Tarrytown exists and I did that, then the house might still be there. And I went to the house and I think it's confirmed that Zelda and Link actually like got romantically involved because you show that. up and there's a kid there who's like, Miss Zelda hasn't come back home yet. I went to go check up on her house and like, she's not there. And I was like, Oh my God, my house is Zelda's house also. <laughs> so I went in and it's like this beautiful house. It's like almost exactly the way I left. It doesn't have all my items, you know, like hung up on the walls and stuff. Um, but up in the top floor is her diary. And there's a lot of instances in this game where you can like read people's journals and notes that they've written and stuff. It has, we haven't even talked about the immersive sim part of this game yet, I think, but like there's a big immersive sim influence on this game. Um, and you can read Zelda's diary about her time in Hitano village and Steven, it is like pitch perfect. Exactly. All the shit that I've said about breath of the wild and like the deeper themes of that game just written out by one of the characters in this game. And it, <laughs> it was the second awesome. time I teared up pl- like reading this, playing this game. I just can't believe how it's wild to think how much of an emotional impact this game has had on me and breath of the wild has had on me. Like I just, I didn't even know that this stuff was lying so dormant inside of me until those two moments until Tarrytown and reading Zelda's diary that I was like, they they've they've created something so beautiful that felt like lightning in a bottle the first time but like i think they just know how to do it now like when you do this a second time it means you know what you're doing it's not an accident you know not and that and i don't want to use that as a way to like disparage the development team of this game obviously because i think what they made the first time was amazing but i think everyone in the world was like wow you really struck you know the fucking gold with this thing like good luck doing it again i feel like that was the vibe when tears of the kingdom got announced it was like good luck doing it again and they 
not only did it again, they might have done it better. And I, I'm with you where like I've played so little of this thing that I don't I can't say that definitively. But there are so many moments where I'm like, you've you've one upped the feeling that I had the first time. And that's yeah, remarkable by itself. I, I think it's a success of the game that they feel so distinct too. Mm-hmm. And and yet, like, you know, uh speaking the quiet parts out loud i think both narratively and also in the design were like uh what what might have been a close read and a stretch of the mechanics in the first game is now just what's expected yes on both a narrative and mechanical level uh, i don't think it's a coincidence that the the main mechanic of this game is connecting things you know uh, I, a yeah, lot of people <laughs> i see a lot of people in the discord being like is this just a stranding like that's like the bit i see constantly it is and yeah i it, i honestly i mean i think Death Stranding, I've said before, I think is like one of the more interesting takes on open world in a post Breath of the Wild like landscape, yeah. you know, uh, that was only a couple of years after. But still, like, I think Death Stranding was it, the influence it took potentially. I mean, they're pretty close in development, but still like this, the way that game felt after playing Breath of the Wild, um, it, it felt like it was it was focused on certain things yeah. that are like parts of the experience here like i think the the intimidate the intimidation of the of the unknown like i think the depths feel very death stranding or like yeah even dragon's dogma where there is that fear of like going into the unknown and not knowing if you're prepared totally um but it just it's <laughs> it's just funny that like this game is so good it's making people rethink about other great games in like a more positive light. yeah uh which is awesome i think but yeah um, I, uh yeah, I, th- I think just to double back on on the point I was making before. Also, I, I when Breath of the Wild came out, it was this very like sea change moment, I think, for open world design. Right. And that's a thing I think everyone acknowledges is like Breath of the Wild came out and, and the bar for what an open world game is had changed forever. Right. N- yeah. Nintendo did what Nintendo always does and like came into a genre late but with their really like own Nintendo ass take on it. Right. I think Spl- yeah. Splatoon is the other like perfect example of that is like, totally. they didn't have a shooter. Now they have Splatoon and Splatoon is like the wildest, most Nintendo version of a shooter you can think of. And that's awesome. And tears of the king, uh, sorry, breath of the wild was that for open world design was like, yeah, we're taking inspiration from things like Skyrim, but it's like a totally Nintendo approach to it. And that game, unfortunately coming out alongside horizon zero dawn was this real, I think like inflection point for the expectations that we have as people who play video games as people who like talk about video games forever. Right. It was like horizon zero dawn was the best of the previous version of what open world games were, but breath of the wild was the future. And over the years we've seen other games like death stranding kind of like chip away at that idea of like, we're moving towards a new thing. Um, yeah. Right. And what I find so interesting about tears of the kingdom in relation to that is I don't even think it's trying to be like, it just inherently already is doing everything that breath of the wild did in terms of open world design. I think what it's now doing, and I've seen other people say this uh, here or there, and I totally agree. Like it's now doing the same thing that breath of the wild did for open worlds for immersive Sims. It's so funny that you played (laughs) Deus Ex a couple weeks ago, but like, right. And and you, we've been talking about Divinity Original Sin and like Baldur's Gate 3 is coming soon. All of these games are weirdly, 
I think maybe inspiration points for what Tears of the Kingdom is doing because all that that idea of like complete player freedom, you can play out different options and different choices and you can read all these books that are strewn out all over the place and you can get a better sense of the world and you can exert your own will on the world and you can solve ideas, uh, you can solve puzzles creatively whenever you want are all hallmarks of the immersive sim, but are all explored in completely new ways here because in immersive sims, usually that stuff is done through dialogue and choices and different ways of engaging with combat or not engaging with combat, like via stealth, for example. And in this game, it's all about like, I'm building a glider with a rocket ship attached to it. I've been thinking about Deus Ex a lot. Uh, you're, you're right to point that out because I one of the augmentations I chose for my for my version of JC is Ascension. the one I found for my arms. I could either upgrade melee mm. damage or I could lift heavier things. Yeah. Um, and I chose lift heavier things specifically so I can move big boxes around and just climb up way mm. too high and like walk past encounters, Cool. which is like the most ultra hand move of yeah. all time, you know, like, so you're right. I think you're right to, to show that it's, it's, it's definitely entering the air for Nintendo. Yeah. And also as a continuation of, I think like, like I imagine Nintendo always looking at other games, but I do think, you know, for a while Zelda was sort of beholden to Zelda. Yes. And a lot of the things that came in were from other Zeldas and Breath of the Wild was sort of an opening of that. And this, again, feels a connection to everything around it, yeah. uh, which is awesome. I just keep thinking about the fact that all of these games are taking inspiration from Breath of the Wild and the actual sequel to Breath of the Wild isn't even really taking that much inspiration from it. It's like deciding to reinvent an entirely different genre alongside it's like we're, t- yeah. we're one step ahead of you fuckers we got a completely it, it different reminds set of me ideas a lot. yeah it reminds me of like right before Sekiro came out it was a similar kind of landscape where yeah. like at that point you know a a dark souls likes were becoming a, a thing and there were examples of games that like arguably one-upped the formula like hollow knight mm. uh, and and the neo games and there was almost this kind of unsaid pressure on FromSoft to like can you keep doing yeah. it and then they're like here here's a t- two different versions of a masterpiece in the span of five years <laughs> <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and in both cases yeah. like Sekiro I think we've often said is like a total departure from a lot of FromSoft stuff by being arguably in structure a little bit more mainstream mm-hmm. you know there is there is a more kind of linear direct story happening you don't really need to watch a YouTube video to know what's happening in Sekiro right um, and yet still retains what you want from a FromSoft game. And then Elden Ring, of course, you know, we've talked about and you know already. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, similar case where it's like, can you do it again? And, and the answer is yes. And now it's a different organism. Right. Um, which is really exciting. Because again, I I would have been happy with, with pure iteration. I would have been happy with Breath of the Wild in a new place with different tools. And again... It, it is kind of that, but there's so much more happening. And a lot of it is due to just the design. Like you can tell the six years of development this game took. I I have nothing to back this up, but it just feels like at least a year was spent testing out mechanics and really choosing the best of the best to be the ones you get. Yeah. Like it just feels like the the designers of this game so have so much confidence in ultra hand and fuse and ascend and like i'm almost curious what was on the cutting room floor like what were the other wild things we didn't get you know and there's also <laughs> one more mode. power yeah <laughs> tingle time um there was there was one i think it was uh it might have been minish cap or something there there was a, a zelda game where you could like play as tingle via the game boy advance connected to a gamecube 
No. Maybe it was Wind Waker. Maybe it was Wind Waker. Maybe it was a dream. Let's be real. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just think uh, I, I this game would have to do a lot in the later hours to prove that it's not a masterpiece. That's kind of where I'm at currently. Yeah. Um, it's, ama- it's amazing how quickly you know also. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, like I, I, I thought I was dreaming, which sounds so cliche, but it really is like this can't be real. I remember you said that about Hollow Knight the first time you played. You're like, there's no way this is a real game yeah, that yeah, exists. Yeah. It's it's I, I, I also am just really enjoying talking to friends about it, which just sounds kind of silly to say, but like there is this sort of communal aspect to this game that was really fun in the early days of Elden Ring, too, where everyone's playing it. Everyone's talking about it. That adds so much. This is the conversation the I was having with Alana and our friend uh, Will also last night. Uh, we were just like at a thing together and uh, I'll, I'll shout them out. Uh, Alana, Alana got engaged. We were at her engagement Hell party. Yeah. It was it was great. Congratulations, Alana and Brendan. Congratulations, uh, we Alana love you both. And um, but anyway, we were at their engagement party yesterday uh, and. Alana, Alana was the one that brought it up. It was like, doesn't this sound so much like the exact conversations we had talking about Elden Ring? Like, isn't it so exciting to be back in that space again? Because Will and I were talking about, we're trying to find members of this like troop of musicians. I don't know if you've run into this at all, but like Will found a, a person that plays the horns and I'm looking for a drummer right now uh specifically to like unlock some stuff but being like have you found the drummer yet and alana's like i think i heard a drummer and will's like i haven't heard i haven't found a drummer i found a, a person playing horns in a pit it was like dude this is just elden ring again this is so exciting <laughs> and before elden ring the last time i really had that was skyrim like in college like it was so fun to come home to my off-campus like apartment and all my housemates were in different rooms playing the game on different systems and we were all like i remember my friend chris was like if you meet someone who challenges you to a drinking contest say yes that's all he you know just stuff like that where there was so much discovery and before then was like fucking pokemon red i think it's (laughs) it's so rare where there's sort of this like lightning striking moment where there's just like, like there's always positive communities around games or you can find positive communities around games, but like uh, moments like this are very sacred. I think yeah. um, the thing it's, it's that I'm hopeful for when games like breath of the wild and tears, of the kingdom and Elden ring become these huge monumental moments. Like not, not only in terms of like people like you and I who play all these games and have a podcast about video games, but like they become cultural moments, right? Elden ring broke outside of the video game sphere and people were like buying steam decks to, play Elden Ring because they heard about it. Same thing happened with Breath of the Wild. Like pe- it was a lot of people's first video game, right? Uh and I think Tears of the Kingdom also kind of recapturing that magic makes me think that there's also going to be like a vested interest from like a business perspective in making more games like this or like taking this kind of approach to games which frequently I imagine will end up being like capitalist nightmare shit, but every once in a while something <laughs> will break through. And I wonder if we're going to have more moments like this more frequently, because every time people manage to do something like this, it becomes a moment that widens the scope of games as a medium, which I think is re- yeah. fucking exhilarating. It, it's, I think it's really powerful that for breath of the wild and Elden ring, two games that are not easy by yeah. any definition, I know a lot of people that before those games did not play any games at all, didn't really even want to. And something about those two entries like completely converted them. Like they were fully in and like that. I would, I think you and I are pretty good at gauging recommendations. Like even with this, we're obviously like in love with this game, but we're not going to say like everyone get it. You know, it's, it's clearly made for a certain 
you know, it, it, it is it is a certain angle at Zelda that may not appeal to everybody. Yeah. Um, but I think like never would I be like, if you've never played a video game before, Elden Ring is a pretty chill one. To I wouldn't with. have said like, that about Breath of the Wild you know, also. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. But, but I, I think are. because both games are so confident that the player will find the fun. Yeah. Like they're so confident that like they have put in, put systems in place and made a world that they know people are going to have so much fun exploring. And I also think, I think this kind of marks a moment where our definition of a game changes, not because like dude graphics, but like literally the experience and like the, the expectation of a game the the idea that you win or lose is changing. I think the biggest thing from South is known for is like really telling you as a player that death is not a fail state. It is part of the experience, mm-hmm. right? And you aren't losing because you're dying. And that feels even more evident in, in Elden Ring because half the time when you die, you laugh because you're like, okay, now I know what this place is like. I'm not going to go back R- there. Right. Or fuck this place. I'm going to destroy everything yeah. in here. <laughs> and it's letting you meet it where it's at versus asking you to do a specific thing over and over again. Yeah. Um, obviously not every game is going to be designed this way, but I do think there's something inherently appealing uh, when the player is trusted by the game and is allowed to kind of meet the game where they want to. Yeah. Uh, and that that's, I think, so. I think one of the more interesting angles I've seen from games that are taking inspiration from breath of the wild. I, I one of the ones that's coming to mind from this year is season a letter to the future which is a game yeah. about like just wandering around uh, kind of again, like a post-apocalypse ruin of an old world. And you just have a camera and a field recorder at your disposal to just like take pictures of things and record sounds uh, and sketch things in a sketchbook. Um, but it feels so much like it's taking the right inspiration of Breath of the Wild. Like it's, it's taking all of the right feelings that I got from Breath of the Wild and putting them in a, in a new package that still feels exciting and feels like i'm engaging with it in a new and interesting way um and that's the kind of stuff that i'm excited about seeing more of and i can't even imagine what you take away from tears of the kingdom partially because i'm <laughs> early enough in that like i i don't even feel like i have my head around what this game is entirely but also like again jumping out six years from now i can't imagine what games we're going to see where we're going to see a developer interview that's like yeah tears of the kingdom came out and like totally you know lit my brain on fire like all i wanted to do was make a game inspired by this um that's so cool i'm like i'm just exhilarated but about the future which is like the best thing you can say about a piece of art you know (laughs) absolutely yeah i mean it's it's really really exciting and like you said i think sometimes the best thing to come of this is like what's going to happen after you know what, what what is the influence going to be yeah um very exciting um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to talk about. I mean, there's so much else to talk about, but I'm wondering if we, if we should put a cap on it. I don't know. I was shown by someone in the kingdom of Hyrule that I can get a frog suit for Link. Can uh, you? And I am like, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> what, what was the quest? Where was it? Maybe this was a dream. Um, but there was a frog suit that I'm determined to get. And also is that the I anti, cur- is that the anti slip suit? It might be the anti slip suit. Uh, one of my favorite outfits that I just recently got is uh, in one of the Sky Islands. There's a robot that's like, "Do you want to like really dive?" And there's like a diving mini game, mm. um, and you have to dive through rings in a certain amount of time. And if you beat the time, you get a gliding suit, which has like flying squirrel Whoa. under stuff, and your gliding speed increases. Because um, there's two, there are two like you can hand glider, which is uses stamina. And kind of 
puts you at a slower, more graceful fall. Yeah. Or you can Fortnite dive. <laughs> And that doesn't use any stamina, but you're gonna die <laughs> if you don't if you don't land in water. Yeah. Um, or I stupidly thought because you can climb anything that if I was diving, I could just dive into a wall and like start climbing it and be cool. <laughs> uh, and no, that's not how that's not how gravity works in in any game or reality. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, the, the the flying outfit is sick. You got a cool scarf. Wait, as yeah. Well. So, what, fashion, so, what, so what does it do? What is the deal with it? The, your gliding speed is your diving speed is faster so you can dive down but can faster. can you like glide out like can you glide forward oh, uh maybe a little bit more easily mm. i'm not entirely sure but it, it, it essentially affects like diving and interesting stuff. my the most uh, recent thing cool. i did was uh i i jumped up the uh the lookout landing tower uh the the top of it and and uh brought a bunch of stamina increasing stuff with me so i could eat it in midair and make made my way directly into hyrule castle which i am assuming is like maybe the end game dungeon maybe not maybe it's maybe you fight ganon in a different place in this game um but it, it seems like that's where you're gonna fight him but anyway it sure is a dungeon first of all like it i i opened up the map and it was like you're on floor one here's the basement floors and here's the you know upper floors um and i just started making my way around hyrule castle and found a bunch of cool attire uh Oh, There's a bunch yeah. of cool stuff to wear. Oh man! And you also brought up uh, in our Discord the other day the amiibo stuff, which is yeah. so fun because the only amiibos I have are Zelda-related ones, so really worked out for me. Um, but I just got um, l the the tunic from Twilight Princess, uh, oh, which cool. is fucking sick. Uh, the the wolf apparently the wolf link one from Twilight Princess. Uh, if you scanned it in Breath of the Wild, you would get like a wolf companion who would like come around with you in Breath of the Wild, which I yeah. didn't know because I did. I've never opened my my wolf link amiibo until yesterday. I opened it up thinking that I would also get that in Tears of the Kingdom. You don't. You just get like a hundred pieces of meat, which honestly is great. <laughs> well, so what I've learned is that every Zelda amiibo has like three chances at a certain yeah. thing and you can scan them like every day and there's like a rare thing and then like a more common thing. I have um like the cartoon link from the Link's Awakening remake and from that I got the Trousers of Awakening, which sounds kind of suggestive. Um <laughs> but uh I they're just like pants that Link wears in that game. Uh and then I scanned I had Zelda from Skyward Sword with like the big bird. Mm. Um that gave me goddess fabric that seemingly allows me to have a custom hand glider so i can have like a different look yeah the die shop glider. in hitano village now also changes your hand glider uh to different materials if you get them that's incredible that's really cool i i i think there's a certain point where i'm going to be purely motivated purely motivated by fashion in this yeah. game there's um what, I, what i've also discovered is i think each region so each area that has its own tower each of those has its own dedicated hang glider fabric that you can unlock uh, via a quest somewhere. I've only gotten one of them, but I, I, I brought it to uh, the guy in Hitano Village and he was like, oh, you should get more of these. There's one in every region, which blew my mind. I think I'll end this episode by uh, sharing that I think this is my this game is by far my favorite interpretation of towers. One, you have the <laughs> the depths towers, which are amazing. Yeah. Um, and in Breath of the Wild, the towers were essentially you scanned the Sheikah tablet, and then like kind of an aura went went out and scanned the land. Yeah. Um, here, a bunch of Doc Ock tentacles grab Link and essentially attach like a bungee. What cord were those to things him. called from Breath of the Wild? Uh with with the 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 arms the scary things that shot you with lasers 
Oh, the like uh, guardians. The guardians. Those are their arms, yeah. right? It, it seems I, I like Pura so. is like reusing Sheikah stuff to make these towers. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, but uh, it's like a refurbished tower. Yeah. Um, you get thrown up in the air on like a bungee cord, and then uh, Link takes out the tablet and just takes a big picture of the area. Yeah. Um, there's a shot like the minute I started seeing tweets and Discord comments of like, is this Death Stranding? I saw Link with essentially like a big silhouette of an umbilical cord, like arms open, standing <laughs> above the world. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a Strand game. This is the second Strand yeah. game. Thank you, Nintendo. Um, uh, everything in this game is so good. good. Yeah, I, honestly, I I'm I'm reeling because I'm like, we have to. We don't have to, but we kind of have to play some stuff for next week's episode. And we, we have an idea about what we're going to talk about next week. But Oh, I have more than I, I'm actually very excited for what I have in store. I was even going to bring it today, but it felt like don't don't have have Creed open for for the main act. Yeah. <laughs> but my feel all I want to do is play Tears of the Kingdom. And this game just seems so endless that like the idea of playing other games seems wild, but I, I need to do it. Also, we're playing Paper Mario in the Thousand Year Door. Uh, which yeah, is, that will be our bonus. Um, we we did slightly push back the recording date, so that might come out closer to June, yeah. like early June. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited to talk about that game. And yeah, I have a lot of Dreamcast stuff I'm very excited about. So I don't know why I said Creed. Nothing is Creed adjacent on my except backlog. that it was all happening um, at the same time. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Creed and Dreamcast were the same era. <laughs> that's why we chose yeah. it. It's the height of scrunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we, I, you know, we're in love. It's always fun when we're in love. I imagine we'll talk about this game again at some point. Either maybe do like a spoiler episode, maybe a bonus once we're like done. We were thinking about maybe doing something where we like do a bonus up to like whatever we've played and then do like a second part where we do like full spoilers, yep. but we'll, we'll play it by ear. Um, and like we said, Thousand Year Door is our upcoming bonus. Hey, um, uh, into the cast. That game's really good. It's great. I was it's look, really good. I we all know. I was a little bit iffy on that first one. Thousand Year Door. That game fucking rips, man. I yeah. love Thousand Year Door so far. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I I uh, I love both, but I I know you're a big Mario and Luigi fan, and I feel like the tone of Thousand Year Door is closer to Mario and Luigi yeah. than than the first Paper Mario was. Yeah, constantly um, laugh out loud, funny. Put it on the box. Put it on the poster. Uh fucking good yeah i there there was an era where like every book was advertised as being a comedy when it like clearly yeah. wasn't it'd be like 1984 like laughed until i yeah. cried it's like what <laughs> why is this? okay anyway uh into the cast online you know the drill thank you for listening can keep it short because I, I think we want to both go and play more Tears yeah can you Kingdom. believe we put aside over two hours uh to not play yeah. zelda <laughs> i honestly think like this is impacting the world in a sense that like they like there's that uh in joke i don't know if it's true i don't think it is of like uh everyone calling off in japan when a new dragon quest comes out i i actually think though that a new zelda dropping and being this good has like affected productivity around the yeah, world i, I did see N- npr ran a story specifically like interviewing people who had taken off work uh to, to play Zelda, <laughs> which I, I ended up not doing uh i i regretted it though about halfway into the work day <laughs> <laughs> it keeps it special yeah you know uh anyway thank you for listening have a wonderful day uh i'm stephen hilger you find me at stephen oh i'm brendan bigley you can find me at brendan bigley including on blue sky the new hit oh, nice. app from jack dorsey we're app. back it's twitter again we're back baby didn't you miss it the first time <laughs>
I hope they bring back fleets. Whoever does fleets first. They are bringing fleets back, Steven. Um, I'm all in. Oh, okay. Well, have fun on Twitter. <laughs> all right. See ya. Bye-bye. Worst garbage. Uh-huh.